Hello and welcome to the Build-A-Bard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using a random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Getting a D20 out. Yeah. Hello to you, lovely audience. We have people now, that's weird. Yeah, we can see the stats in the podcast and the social media and things like that. We have people listening now. That's yeah, thank you, everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly me listening to it to and from work going, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I got that wrong. No, no, it says there's people in America. There's someone in Norway, God bless you, yeah. listening to us. There was someone from Estonia. Did yeah. you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Hello, yeah. Estonia. Today, I would first like to give a shout out to Dungeons X Dragonites on TikTok, who is a friend of the show mm. and he does listen. Hi, Jade. Have a good one. Yeah. That aside, today we are looking at a Hobgoblin Horizon Walker Ranger. I managed to say Ranger as opposed to Ranger. Yeah, that's the fancy British version of Ranger. <laughs> that's the uh, French, surely. Ranger. <laughs> Ranger. <laughs> We've lost all our French listener. <laughs> Should we do rollings? Yeah. That's a good one. I like being back in here. I prefer it. Ooh, I rolled 16. You got 16 and I got... I got a six, so you get to choose. I will go first if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. I'll just put that there. No, put it in the bag of dice so I don't lose it. But first of all, you normally ask, how did you find this build? Yes, I do ordinarily ask, how did you find the build, Simon? I'm 40 years old now. There's not many things that can penetrate my cold and feeling core. I felt a rage constructing the ranger. I don't think I've felt since my early 20s or being a teenager. This incited a frustration and rage in me that I didn't believe I was capable of anymore. So thank you, Dungeons and Dragons, for making me feel human again. (laughs) (laughs) We will get to exactly what it was that set me off with mine. I assume mostly in the second half, but just briefly to cover it, don't like ranger spells. Okay, I love ranger spells. Having found a trick for my build, Mm. which we'll go into after yours, and then discovered some other features around rangers, I like the ranger. I like the idea of the ranger. I hate the spells. Okay. So let's do yours. So I would like to introduce you to Ermia Nilbogbo. Okay, where did that come from? This morning, that's where it came from. I went through a couple of iterations of the build, wasn't really happy with any of them. And this morning, no, this afternoon, uh, really, I read one thing and I went, got it. So, the background for Goblinoids is that at one point, Hobgoblins, Goblins and Bugbears each had their own pantheon of gods. Mm. And eventually, a god called Malgubiet, if it's Malbugiet, I apologise, but I think I it's... it was Maglubiet, but I don't oh, know. Well, it's a hell of a name, it's whatever a, it is. It is a hell of a name. So I will look up it, whether it's Maglubiet, Malgubiet, Malbugiet, whatever. I have aspects of dyslexia. So there's, there's sometimes there's words that I've had in my head for years that I just suddenly go, oh, the letters are that way round. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Well, it's it's that right here. We can, we can have a quick look. Well, while you're looking that up... Maglubiet. Um, it is GL. It's Maglubiet. 
Oh, well, there you go. That never happens to me. Wow. I'm just going to put that down to the heat madness. No, I've thought that ever since I read it the first time. Oh, okay. That never happens to me. It must be a part of getting older. <laughs> so, Magluviet is the conquering god. And I was looking through all the lore, and you've got... What Mal- Magluviet did is he crushed all the other pantheons. Like, oh. truly crushed them. Okay. So there's only there's two hobgoblin gods, two bugbear gods, and one goblin god, I think. Okay. Maybe two. I think it's just one, though. And I um, kind of wanted him to be this hobgoblin who realised we're actually a slave race under this god, who's not even our god. And he's Mm. been our god so long, we've forgotten our gods. So what he's actually doing now as a Horizon Walker Ranger is travelling the multiverse to find the shells of former gods. Oh, wow. Because in the last couple of episodes, we'll we'll tell you, I'm very influenced by the upcoming Spelljammer expansion, which might well be on its way to coming out by the time this episode goes live. There's a free campaign you get as part of being on D&D Beyond. Hello, dog. Hello. Uh, Can you go on your bed? Bed? Good boy. Well done. Oh, that is so good. So, in the Astral Sea... And amongst other places in the multiverse, you can find the bodies of dead gods. And I have forgotten the word, but there is a term for gods as concepts. So they're still there, but they're not, they've lost their godhood or similar. I can't quite remember the fluff. So basically, he's travelling the multiverse to find the remnants of dead gods to put the goblin pantheons back together. So he's influenced by the unnamed Nilbog god. So Nilbogs are the trickster goblins. And it's said in the lore that this god, whoever he may have been, was completely stomped to pieces. But his little bits still mm. exist somewhere in the multiverse. And that's how you get Nilbogs. So I wanted like all these gods and remnants of gods to be plotting through this one hobgoblin to bring back the pantheon. Mm. So that's why they're Horizon Walker Ranger. That's why they're travelling the planes. Yeah. So, as for traits and bonds and flaws, if you'll give me one moment. Mm-hmm. I chose the folk hero background. All right. With some massaging of what it says. Um, so, rustic hospitality is, since you come for the ranks of the common folk, you're fitting among them with ease. So you can find a place to hide, rest, or recuperate among other commoners, unless you've shown yourself to be a danger to them. They will shield you from the law or anyone searching for you, though they will not risk their lives for you. So all the other races realise that this person is actually trying to liberate hobgoblins, goblins and bugbears from the all-conquering host that they are in Dungeons & Dragons. So they'll shield him from hobgoblins and things that are looking... Because Magluviet is going to try and put them down. Yeah. Personality traits. When I set my mind to something, I follow through no matter what gets in my way. Obvious where that comes from. Yeah. To give them a a little bit of... um, Not make them a Mary Sue... I'm confident in my own abilities and do what I can to instill confidence in others. Mm. Well, confident in your abilities and mm. helping others, that really works with the hobgoblin mechanics. Exactly. And then the flaw is I'm convinced of the significance of my destiny and blind to my shortcomings and the risk of failure. Mm. So I try to tie that together. Ideals. Freedom. Tyrants must not be allowed to oppress the people. Maglubiet is said to be like the tyrant of tyrants, the ruler of tyranny, I think is yeah. one of his names. And the bonds is, I protect those who cannot protect themselves. Are you, are you speaking in boy language? Okay, stats. Standard array, as per the usual. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a piece of shit through my letterbox this week. 
I put a 10 in strength, my 15 in dex, a 12 in constitution, but you get a plus two from Hobgoblin. Yeah. I put 13 in intelligence. Mm. My 14 went in wisdom, so I, I, and my 8 in charisma. My spread is 10, 16, 14, 14, 14, 8, which is actually pretty good. Just looking at that, I think I've got the same stats, except I've flipped the charisma and strength, I think. Oh, the, I did that originally, Yeah. but um, I found out I was over-encumbered, so yeah. I flipped them back. No, got slightly different stats. But I think I was buggered up because I looked up the legacy points for a hobgoblin. So yeah, it's constitution and intelligence. Yeah, I think I was buggered up by that. And I well, I used those. So yeah. that's that. As a ranger, you get proficiency in strength and dexterity saving throws. So I've got a plus three in strength, a plus six in dex, plus two in con, plus two in intelligence, plus two in wisdom, and a minus one in charisma. Hmm. Standout skills, I've got plus five for animal handling, plus five for investigation, plus five for perception, a plus nine to stealth, and plus five to survival. So, very quickly... That's uh, some good stats. That's some good stats. I took scale mail as part of the starting equipment. Scale mail imposes disadvantage on stealth checks, but I took the Cloak of Elvenkind. Ah, okay. That's a good one. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the Cloak of Elven Kind, that gives you advantage on stealth checks, mm-hmm. which means if you have disadvantage, yeah. the two balance each other out, so you can wear uh, you see, heavy or medium armour. a straight roll. Yeah, yeah, you can wear heavy or medium armour without disadvantage on the stealth checks. I also use some optional features, one of which is Deft Explorer. That's interesting, because you didn't use Favoured Foe. I didn't use Favoured Foe. I used favoured enemy, and that will become apparent why. By the way, favoured foe, sometimes you should take favoured enemy and sometimes you should take favoured foe. That's up to you. The reason I didn't was for fluff purposes, not mechanical purposes. Mm. Because Horizon Walker is my favourite ranger. I actually have a Horizon Walker character I want to play. I will be using favoured foe with them, but not favoured enemy. But for this one, it made more sense. Yeah. So, canny is the first level deft explorer feature. That replaces natural explorer in the player's handbook. Choose one of your skill proficiencies. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses the chosen skill. You can also speak, read, and write two additional languages of your choice. So, uh, I took Elvish and Sylvan as my extra languages. I might actually change those, but they're fine for the moment. And I took Stealth as my expertise. So, I've balanced out the advantage and disadvantage, but I've given myself expertise. So, I'm nailing my Stealth checks. Yeah. My favourite enemy was Aberrations, because if they're going to be floating around in the Astral Sea, looking for dead gods. It makes sense as well with the Horizon Walker stuff, because the background flair of that is like hunting down anything that shouldn't be on this plane, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, I kind of inverted that of hunting down stuff in the other planes to bring it back. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Here's Mm. stuff that doesn't belong on this plane. The stuff that does belong on this plane, bring it back. Yeah. Uh, And I chose deep speech as the language, because that is the language of aberrations. My fighting style, I chose dueling, Mm -hmm. because I decided that I was going to go for a melee ranger. Mm. Because I imagined you would probably go shooty ranger. The what, as in me? Yeah. Okay. I thought you would probably go ranged for the ranger. Yeah, yeah. So I chose dueling, and I kind of want to make a case for rangers as melee combatants. Mm -hmm. They do have proficiency engine shields. I don't see why they shouldn't use them. Equipment. Uh, I chose the Cloak of Elvenkind. Yeah. I would also have to buy a component pouch. 
I forgot to add that to my build, but that is something that I'm mentioning now. I will put it on my build in a moment. Um, I'm keeping the longbow and arrows because, you know, I'm still good with the bow if I need to be. Yeah. Um, and I bought a rapier and a shield so that I'm close combat, rapier, shield. My AC is 18. That's good. With a plus nine to stealth, which is going to jump by two at 11th level, I think it is, to whatever it's going to be. And I would be raising my decks as much as possible. Wisdom, mm, not so fast on it. I wanted to make a mention of Nature's Mantle, which is an alternative cloak that you can take yeah. for druids or rangers. It operates as a spellcasting focus. Mm. And you can also hide as a bonus action. That's always useful. That is always useful. Spells. I took Absorb Elements. You get protection from evil and good as standard. You don't have to prepare it. That's good. You get Speak with Animals. You can use it once per day. Can I just ask, when you learn spells, because I, I meant to look this up, but I didn't... Can you change them on a long rest, no. or is it just you learn them as you level I up? I believe it's you learn them as you level up. Okay. I will check that. Sorry, Editing Simon, you can cut some... Um... Oh, no, I'd say Editing Simon doesn't mind cutting out gaps where we're looking something up. That's absolutely not true. I hate you both. A gap where we're just looking something up is, like, nothing for editing. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you learn your spells like a um, sorcerer or a bard does. Okay. And I took Zephyr Strike. I thought about taking that. And you get a Misty Step. Yeah, that's just gratis. That's baked in, which yeah. is um, nice. It's, it's a good one. I took Healing Spirit as another second level spell, and I mm -hmm. took Pass Without Trace. Okay. And maybe the people at home will notice that other than Absorb Elements and Zephyr Strike, all of these are concentration. Yeah. That is because the first turn, I cast Zephyr Strike on myself. Yeah. My movement doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. I've got two attacks at this level. I attack one person, I move to the next person and attack them. Once before the spell ends, you can give yourself advantage on one weapon attack roll on your turn. The attack deals an extra 1d8 force damage on a hit. So that means hit one Gribbly, hit another Gribbly, make my way to the boss. Next turn, two attacks, first one... If it doesn't hit, I give myself advantage or whatever. First one hits with advantage. Add a D8 for my bonus action. Add a D8 for this. And that's effectively a smite plus no opportunity attacks for yeah. free. Plus advantage. For, for a first level spell slot, not for free. And whether you hit or miss, your walking speed increases by 30 feet until the end of that turn. <laughs> so that's, that's my trick. Go between a couple of Griblies. End mm -hmm. up at the last one. On the next turn, massive damage to that one person. You know, that's plus 2d8 using your bonus action. So the the big thing for Horizon Walkers, I haven't said this yet, is the planar warrior feature, which gives you an extra d8 damage as a bonus action. It's a big one. Now, there are a lot of people who point out that the Horizon Walker is therefore, quote-unquote, banned from using two-weapon fighting. Because you want to be using your D8 of force damage, which is really, really, really unlikely to be resisted. Yeah. Structurally, you have to use your bonus action to give yourself a D8 on your main action. Now, while I was reading through Ranger, I actually read through all of the basic rules on the action economy and mm -hmm. bonus action and splitting things like that. And it, the way this is designed to work is you use your bonus action first to declare that you are going to do an extra D8 damage on your next attack. Mm -hmm. So in a weird way, 
if you think about it as you know the, the d6 damage you would use in an offhand attack you move that d8 and add it to your main attack mm -hmm. structurally so it just means that you use your bonus action slot up that then says the next attack that you do will do an extra d8 so the the first of your two attacks will mm -hmm. deal the extra d8 damage well, the first of your two attacks that hits i know we don't usually do this but i want to talk about later levels early or rather one thing to do with later levels okay yeah horizon walker is one of two maybe three ranger subclasses that gets a third attack at level 11 you get this hop that allows you to teleport 10 feet before you attack someone and if you hit two different people with that, you can then hit a third. So I'm trying to set my character up that on the first turn, they Zephyr Strike. Mm. One, two, three. Next turn, one, two, Nova damage. That's the plan. And at level 11, it also goes up to 2d8. So I really like Horizon Walkers. I yeah. really like the idea I have for my Elf Horizon Walker more than I do this Hobgoblin, just being honest. But there we go. Yeah. Hobgoblins surprised me because I'd never really thought about them that much. Two points. I, I did take a feat. Okay, yeah, I was I was going to ask because you said you took it to level five, which mm -hmm. means you get your ASI at fourth level. Yeah, I took Piercer. Yeah, great choice. Piercer, on a critical hit, you can roll one additional damage die when determining the extra piercing damage. If that additional damage die is on your Zephyr Striked Planar Warrior turn, you're adding a D8 of force damage. So this yeah. is now 48 because the original attack is force damage as well. That's mm. 48 of more than likely unresisted damage. Yeah. When I first read that ability, yeah. Planar Warrior it's called, isn't it? Yeah. When I first read that ability, I thought this is straight up broken. And then I looked at it and I thought, no, it's just you use up your bonus action slot and it's a, your next attack that gets that mm -hmm. bonus damage. So I was thinking, okay, that's that balances it out more because when I first read it, I just thought, so you just add a D8 to every attack. That's, no. that's unbelievable. One, no. one of your two. But your attack becomes force damage. Mm, which, as we've said before with uh, Eldritch Blast, not a lot of things resist force damage. But it also means that if you're level three and fighting a Banshee, it doesn't count uh, piercing, slashing, or bludgeoning damage. From... Oh, yeah, that's good. So it's a bigger consideration than you think. Mm. Because if you do your first attack and it hits but does half damage, you go, right, well, I am now sacrificing my bonus action to really hammer into them. And if you've already done Zephyr Strike the turn before, you can do 48 plus your dex mods worth of damage and just say goodbye to most of its health points at least. Yeah, that is one of the things that I like about you use the word Nova, which is like <laughs> you do have a number of ways that you can heap all of your damage you do onto to, one attack. You, you do have, have to think about it more than you do with a paladin. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there. It's not as straightforward as just add smite to this. Mm. You just have to pull together a couple of fiddly little features and know what you're doing. But if you do know what you're doing with it, you can lump all of your damage into one attack here's if you want. Here's another thing. If you'd absorbed elements the turn before, mm. you're adding plus 1d6 or 2d6, depending on the spell slot level, back in. So that means your DM is going to have to think about what they're doing as well. Like you say, if you, the first turn you do your boop boop on the two gribblies and then run up to the boss. If he decides to be clever and hit you with a, an attack that does elemental damage, they've just made things worse for themselves. Absolutely. And also, we've spoken loosely about the Gloomstalker, mm. I think in the Aladrin one. 
The Gloomstalker, we've said, is kind of the standout favourite in terms of rangers for, for the broad community at large. Yeah. Although I think, you know, some people are leaning more toward Drake Warden than the fixed Beastmaster Ranger. I think a lot of people like that. I'm also a massive fan of the Swarm Keeper and the Fey Wanderer. I think Tasha's podcast is a chef's kiss. But the Horizon Walker occupies a very special place in my heart <laughs> as this slightly weird moving between realms kind of almost like a Sigic Monks from Skyrim. Like, this doesn't belong here. This isn't right. We need mm. to do the right thing about it. Sort of a higher purpose thing. And and that flavor, I mean, it's my interpretation of flavor, I think, more than anything else, <laughs> is what really attracts me. Yeah. The thing that does conflict here mm. is your bonus action of extra force and your bonus action Zephyr Strike spell. Yeah. However, you're setting yourself up to do a massive amount of damage the next turn. Yeah. And so many spells are setting yourself up for the next turn. Mm. So, your wife, when she's playing the Paladin, there's been a couple of times where she's gone, I do my two attacks, and then she thinks bonus action and goes, oh, I should have used this before. Can I use my bonus action to add a smite spell? And that's not optimised play in the first place. But that does mean if you've worked out, you do your first two attacks and you put in radiant damage and they're resistant to it, for example, you Mm. then go, right, bugger this. Searing smite, etc. There's a weakness. And next turn, bang, I'm adding (laughs) a load of damage. Yeah. I just want to talk about Pass Without Trace is obvious. You're there to support the rest of the team. Be great. Yeah, yeah. And also this means that Yes, I'm not getting advantage with my Cloak of Elvenkind, or if I'm taking Nature's Mantle, I'm still at disadvantage, but it's a plus 9 because of expertise, and it's a plus 10 due to pass without trace, Yeah, which is a plus 19. The minimum is 20. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Even at disadvantage, the minimum is 20. So, who cares? Healing Spirit was completely broken. Uh, It has now been slightly tamed. Oh, has it? Yeah. Uh, this is second-hand information, so I couldn't tell you how it has been tamed. Fair enough. Oh, it's because you can only heal a number of times equal to one plus your spellcasting ability modifier. So, so that's good, because it stops it being broken when you first get it, but it means it's still relevant at higher levels. Mm-hmm. D&D Shorts did a whole video about the monk class. I thought I would watch, because I'm playing a monk in the home game yeah. at the moment. And one of the things that he said was similar to that, and there's a lot of the abilities that they seem to be moving towards in this way, is one of the problems that he said with a monk is at earlier levels, it's like you get one key point per monk level. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of these cool abilities, but you can only use one of them in a fight. Yeah, one or because, two. And even if you get a short rest and you get it straight back, you've got one point at first level, you've got two points at second level. You don't level. get them until second level. One of the, you only get two points, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. One of the fixes that he thought of was to have the key points come in as you get one plus your wisdom bonus. Mm. Because then later on, you've got loads of key points to spare. So you don't want it going up with your proficiency bonus because then that means you're backloading it at the the, the higher levels where mm-hmm. it's not really a I problem. I actually watched this video. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And whereas if you do it plus your wisdom bonus, I mean, your wisdom bonus, you're probably going to be putting that up as a monk anyway. So you might get one or two extra things as you mm. as you level up. Whereas it means you start off with a good pool. Of, oh, it was level yeah. plus wisdom mod, I think. Okay, yeah, because at the moment it's just like at level two you get your level, so you've got two key points. Uh, he was using MMs to demonstrate them, but yeah, it means at level two you've got two key points, which means you can do two cool things and then you're out. 
Whereas if you made it like your level plus your wisdom modifier, it means you get four at first level. But then as you're going up, it's not getting silly at higher levels. It just gives you that boost earlier on when you really need it. And I mean, maximum, yeah. you're getting 25. Yeah. The reason I mentioned that, that it's relevant to this is... I think there's a lot of the abilities that rather than just saying like you get one use or you get this or you get this, it's like you get this amount of uses plus either your key stat bonus or your proficiency bonus, which I think is a, is a it's a nicer way of doing it. And it's, it's a good balance for a lot of these sorts of things. So um, healing spirit, you create a little nature spirit that comes out. It's intangible. Spirit looks like a transparent beast or fae. Your choice. Can I just say, I also really like when spells say it's your choice because it really lets you add that yeah. flair to what you want to create it as. So for my Horizon Walker Ranger, that's not this one, the healing spirit would be flavoured as something particular to them and definitely wouldn't be fae. But for, for... I would have a little goblin with a healing kit. Yeah, it would yeah, literally just so be a cute. little spirit goblin with a healing kit running around. Or like a hobgoblin baby. Well, I was just thinking from, like you were saying, the relationship between hobgoblins, goblins and bugbears. You just have like little Gobbo the Goblin running around. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can cause the spirit to restore 1d6 hit points to that creature. No action required. Whenever you or a creature you can see moves into the spirit space for the first time on a turn or starts its turn there, you can cause the spirit to restore 1d6 hit points. The spirit Mm. can't heal constructs or undead. So this wouldn't be good for um, Artemis. Yeah. Unfortunately. But there we go. The spirit can heal a number of times equals one plus your bug casting ability modifier. After mm. healing that number of times, the spirit disappears. So what you can do with this is, as a bonus action, you can move the spirit up to 30 feet to a space you can see. Don't use this in combat. What this is mm. actually good for is, here is my healing spirit. Everyone take a walk into it. Yeah. Have you kept up on campaign three? No, I have. Uh, I... Right. I'll not say the context of it, but there's literally, there's, they were in a situation, they had all been injured by this fight Mm -hmm. to the point that they were in trouble. They knew enemies were coming and they didn't have anywhere near time for a short rest. Mm. So Sam bloody Regal, as usual, pops up with healing spirit and he's like, right, I've got this little spirit that's just going to move around the room. And because we're out of combat, it's every six seconds it can heal someone for this much how much is it? It's 1d6 at level 2, but for each spell slot above second level, you add an extra d6. Yeah, I So think... you don't add extra heals, but you add extra healing. Yeah, so I think that was it. It was literally, right, we've got, we've got this many rounds, that's this many seconds outside of combat. So it was literally like he was just rolling the dice and then just saying, like, right, who's most injured? So roll a dice, you get this much. Now who's most injured? Okay, you get this much. And just literally went through and just bang, 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 group healed the entire party. It's like a mini short rest. It's, it's awesome. so good. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, if you see somebody use this spell and use it well like that, like Sam did in that encounter, it is such a good choice. If you've already used your Zephyr Strike to hit the big bad and you're on mop-up, you can, of course, cast a Healing Spirit and have people just wander into it. And then you go, yeah, have a D6. Yeah, That's no action required for you to to heal someone. Oh, it's it's not even a bonus action. It's a bonus action to move, that's it. Okay. Again, I was thinking, if you take this on a Cleric, the problem is you do have to kind of set it up and then tell other people 
have to use their movement to get to it, which there are problems with using it in combat. Mm -hmm. But if you use it just after a combat, when you don't have time to take a short rest, it is phenomenal the amount of yeah, the amount yeah. of healing it can put out. So my favourite people, the dungeon dudes. Yeah. They're not my favourite people. I just really like their stuff. No, they're really good. They're really good. They've recently started ranking every class in terms of its party role. So like frontliner, support, utility, mm. main damage dealer, they've done an uh, infiltrator. And I honestly think that the ranger should have its own... There should be one which is the backup. And the ranger would ace it the whole way through. Yeah. Because you can pack a healing spell. You can be the frontliner if you need to. You can be the main damage dealer if you need to. You can be the support. You can be the utility. So, pass without trace, utility. Healing spirit, support. I I'm aware that I'm waffling. No, I just to speak to that point, I mean, people always think that about, like, the bard is a good backup character. Like, if you don't know what you're going to play and you want a wide variety of skills that can work in whatever situation you hit, a bard is a good one for that. The problem with the bard, similar to the ranger, is you have to take abilities that could work in any situation, whereas another way of arguing that is something like a wizard or a cleric. Clerics particularly, because they're way more survivable than wizards are, and mm. they can frontline if they need to, is because you can relearn your spells every day as a cleric. When you turn up or you get the sort of the introduction to everything, you just sort of like explain to the party, right, can we set this up in a way where we get the situation explained to us and then have a long rest? Mm -hmm. Because then that means if he says, okay, you're storming a castle and there's guards, then you set up, okay, we're going to need pass without a trace. We're going to mm -hmm. need mm -hmm. probably healing spells. And we're going to, you can set up the things that you're going to need. I've got one little thing to add, if you don't mind. Yeah, Before, go. before you yeah, go yeah, on, go. I, I, I added cook's utensils. Ooh. as my tool proficiency that you get with Folk Hero. And the idea is is that they were just the cook in a hobgoblin camp and went, hang on, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, they're like, and now they're off. And they're like, I've got to be more than a cook. Yeah, It's like a, a slight arrogance to it. Mm. I, I don't know, I just thought it was really funny. I was actually reading a discussion before about the backgrounds for mm -hmm. the characters. They're all sort of like stuff of legends, if you go through them. There's no, like... I was a farmer. Some yeah. of them, yeah, you, you could argue that you were a farmer and that's why you were, you know, an outlander who knows the land very well and mm -hmm, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. Like, you could argue that with, with a lot of the backgrounds. But there is a lot of them where if you just want a generic person, like the background you choose is either urchin because you were poor in a city or you choose outlander because you're from a little village. Out in the Maybe of hermit. You can probably fudge that yeah, as well. Yeah, hermit every time... I, the thing that always sticks in my craw with that one is that it's like, it's always, you have a dark secret that you've been researching while you're away from it. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. always see it as like, if you're just somebody who has been out in the hills away from everything, I usually think Outlander because Hermit seems to be they've been isolating themselves for a purpose. purpose. Yes, yeah. true. That's true. Well, Folk Hero says you come from a humble social rank, but you are destined for so much more. Mm -hmm. Already the people of your home village regard you as their champion, and your destiny caused you to stand against the tyrants and monsters that threaten the common folk everywhere. Mm. And I like the idea of this person believes that they're the folk hero <laughs> rather than is, you know, rather than everyone else is like, Ermia, mm. can you rustle us up a couple of waffles, mate? And instead yeah. he's like, no, I'm taking my ladle and this rapier and I'm going to go and uh, mm. I'm going to save our gods. And they're like, oh, Ermia's off again, man. 
I kind of like that, though, because I think, especially at the moment, there's so many people that can relate to the idea of, I bloody hate my job. <laughs> I hate everything. I hate everything I'm doing. And if I could just go off with a sword and be epic, that would be amazing. Man, that's, I dream yeah. about that every night. Yeah. I don't hate my job, by the way. I just want to no, put that no, out there. I just, but... I just mean conditions at the moment. There's a lot of people who are in jobs that aren't satisfying. And your response to that is either wanting to have a purpose in life. And that purpose can either be, you know, you can try to enrich life for people around you and set up sort of better community goals. Or mm. you can go full Jordan Peterson and try and like, you know, <clears throat> your purpose in life has to be to slay the dragon of chaos, which fuck off. <laughs> right. Sorry, there is one ability I meant to talk about. No, I, we will save it for general discussion, actually. Yeah, okay. Please introduce your character. So, I'm going to run through the character without going into it and see at what point it clicks. It might click straight away. Okay. Okay, so, character name is Neverwinter Smith. And the background is using... I've just, for my birthday, decided to buy myself a bunch of extra stuff. Okay. And one of the things that I looked at is in the Tomb of Annihilation, mm -hmm. there's two backgrounds in there, mm. one of which is archaeologist, which I it's really just like. Clicked. It's just clicked, yeah. yeah. Neverwinter Smith, archaeologist. Yeah. Okay. When you enter a ruin or dungeon, you can correctly ascertain its original purpose and determine its builders, whether those were dwarves, elves, human, yonti, or some other unknown race. In addition, you can determine the monetary value of art objects more than a century old. So that's quite nice. That's decent. That's yeah, a that's, decent little thing, actually. It, it's a nice little background, but I also, I was looking through all the standard backgrounds. Mechanically, I got annoyed with making this character, so I'm just going to say up front, this is not an optimal character it's in so the, many ways. It's not the point of the build. No, and I think I've It's not been, point of the show. I think I've kind of been knocking myself out trying to do optimal characters over the last few weeks and run into problems like the yeah, bonus action problems that we've had. Yeah, I think that was because I was trying to make a character who was fully optimised and I don't think that's me. I don't well, think playing a character who is sort of mechanically optimised is what I would have fun with in a session. I am going to be cruder than that. We should step off my turf. <laughs> Bullshit tricks is my business. All right. You stick to making nicely well-rounded characters with interesting themes. I'll stick to the bullshit. Cheers. <laughs> Personality traits. I'm happier in a dusty old tomb than I am in the centres of civilization. Traps don't make me nervous. Idiots who trigger traps make me nervous. That's so Indiana Jones. It I hurts. swear I did not make this up. This is one of the ideals that you can get for archaeologist. Preservation. That artifact belongs in a museum. <laughs> Good. I, I did not type that out. That is in the archaeologist background. It's actively encouraging you to make Indiana Jones. Buggering hack. Bonds. I hope to bring prestige to a library, a museum or university. Flaws. I have a secret fear of some common wild animal. And in my work, I see them everywhere. <laughs> Why did it have to be snakes? See, for him, it should be squirrels. <laughs> like, really common. <laughs> yeah, you could just, like, squirrels. Why did it have to be squirrels? Oh, no, a stink bug. <laughs> so. I've amused myself, I'm Yeah, sorry. stats <clears throat> and saves. Again, using on standard array. I've ended up with uh, 8 in strength, 16 in dexterity, 12 in constitution, 14 in intelligence, mm -hmm. which I noticed you got 14 in intelligence. When I was constructing, I did that for a stupid reason. But why did you go with 14 in, in intelligence? Um, Because I have OCD, number one. 
And then I thought about it and I went, hang on, if they're going to be exploring the planes, investigation nature, I want right up there. Yeah. That's why. Okay, 14 in wisdom and charisma, 12. So the stats have moved a little bit from where they are on yours. But when I got to the point where I was doing Indiana Jones as a character, I thought... He can't have low charisma. No, he can't. I don't. I don't want it to be like up there and silly, but it. He's not going to have low charisma. He's going to have some sort of bonus to it. Yeah, he's not like Mister Charismatic, but yeah. he's you know charming in his own way. Yeah, worth mentioning. Hobgobs have advantage to avoid or end the charmed condition and dark vision out to sixty feet. So they've got that. Uh, I took history and I took expertise in history, which gives me plus eight in history. Nice. So when he's looking around ruins and stuff, he's going to know what that is. Mm -hmm. Investigation plus five. Religion is plus five because, again, I see him as someone who can look at a relic and just go, oh, that's of the such and such tribe and they worship this. And in a way, it's building for Indiana Jones, but it's also building for something that you can role play as a good archaeologist as what they do. Yeah, plus, as opposed to running away from boulders. Yeah, plus six in stealth and plus five in survival. So that that's the standard skills. That's really skills. good. The feat that I took was Gunner. And you know exactly why from which film it is. It's the bit where the guy turns up with the two swords and apocryphally, the story that goes around, I don't 100% know if this is true or not, Harrison Ford was really ill with flu or heat stroke on that no, day. No, no, it was um, dysentery or something. He was really unwell. Yeah. Like bad diarrhoea from the water or something. Yeah, they had a whole impressive scene where he fought him with a whip and disarmed him of the swords gradually. And then, you know, there was a whole choreographed scene and he just thought it would be far funnier if he just pulled out a gun and shot him. And it works so well. It's hilarious in the film because it is very much set up that way. It's like, oh, this guy's a huge threat and everybody's standing around in a circle and then he just shoots him and turns around. It's hilarious. I mean, it's kind of Alexander the Great and the Gordian Knot, isn't it? Yeah, so he does have a pistol and he does have the gunner feet. Mechanically, this sets up a contrast, which is the fact that he would be better, far, far better off, as we discussed with the Artificer, he would be so much better off just using the pistol. But because he's Indiana Jones, he's got a whip. That's the the feat. The racial bonuses that I did, as I say, I looked up the old Hobgoblin mm-hmm. racial bonuses and I went with them, which probably contributed because Sorry, I think buddy. they get a plus one in intelligence, don't they? Plus one in intelligence, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up putting the 13 from the standard array in intelligence, which took it up to 14. But that's mostly... Just because I'm really fiddly and I don't like odd numbers in the build. Yeah, that's the reason I took it. But it, here's something interesting. Excuse me interjecting on your yeah. thing. We both did that mm. to appease our brains. And what's come out of it are two completely different characters that are really, really interesting takes on a ranger. So I, I don't necessarily think we should be, quote unquote, ashamed of that. Yeah. So weird tricks that I've got, mostly similar to the idea that you've got. Yeah, that scene in Indiana Jones where he's fighting that guy, the whole joke is that he just turns around and one-shots him with a pistol. Mm. Now, the pistol is 1d10 plus 4 on its own. If you have combined this with the... Uh, Planar Warrior? Planar Warrior, but also Favoured Foe. Uh-huh. When you hit a creature with an attack roll, you can mark the target as your favoured enemy for one minute or until you lose your concentration as if you were concentrating on a spell. The first time on each of your turns that you hit the favoured enemy and deal damage to it, including when you mark it, you can increase that damage by 1d4. So that's 1d10 plus 1d4 plus 1d8. 
Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to use any of the ranger's spells to add damage to that. This is why I didn't take Favoured Foe, because I want to use the Zephyr Strike. So if you were using Zephyr Strike to do this, instead of adding the D4 from Favoured Foe, you would add... A D8. A D8. So that's 1D10 plus 1D8 plus 1D8. Yeah. Yeah. So you would, you're adding a lot of damage to one big hit with the pistol. So depending on what the enemy is... You could, in theory, just turn around and shoot an enemy that you can't be asked to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A a little gribbly that you can't be asked to fight. Here's the thing I would point out. Mm. Zephyr Strike takes two turns. Okay. You're adding Zephyr Strike as a bonus action Mm -hmm. so that next turn you get your attack, force damage, extra force damage. This you get for free. Favoured Foe is no action required. So you can just add that D4 every turn. So that is the trick to that. With the whip, with having such high dexterity, it's 1d4 plus 5 damage, which Mm -hmm. a d4 is not a great damage dice, but if you're combining it with the Horizon Walker feature, it does kind of make up for it on one of the hits. People put down whips because it's 1d4. They are a reach weapon. And if you were to take a few levels of rogue on top of that... Especially for what I'm doing with the adding damage to things... If you were at level six and you'd taken a level of rogue. Yeah, man. That's which, m- thinking about it, with this build, I went back and forth quite a lot about whether to take the ranger to level five to get the level two spells and the extra attack. The extra attack or whether to take a level of rogue because you could put expertise in religion mm-hmm. for this build and have somebody who just can walk into a ruin and they will know everything, everything. that is there. Plus, ideally, under ideal circumstances, you can add a d6 of sneak attack on top of all of the other things that you're adding to it. And because you can only add the Horizon Walker thing to one attack, it's one of the few situations where... Oh, that's nasty. ...where my brain is thinking, you're adding all of these bonuses onto one attack. Mm -hmm. Do you want that d6 added to that first attack, or do you want the two attacks? And working out the numbers on it, I'm not really good enough at D&D to work out the statistical averages of two attacks with blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure somebody can sit and work that out and come up with efficiency-wise, which is better. But there's certainly an argument that if you're only adding these things to one attack, then there is a clearer argument for taking one level of rogue instead of taking ranger to level five. Do you mind if I talk about this quickly? Yeah, go for it. All right, I'm going to be as concise as possible. No, talk about it. I looked at Ranger Rogue as well. Mm. And I looked at taking Nature's Mantle as well. Uh, what, Nature's what Mantle's the item that I spoke about. It acts as oh, a spell, yes, uh, yes. A spell focus. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, a druidic focus. That's what it acts as, sorry. Yeah. Um, And you're allowed to hide as a bonus action. Okay. My thing is, the Horizon Walker, on its own, at level 5... Allows you to use your bonus action, just just add extra damage. Yeah. I'm deciding to add extra damage now. The rogue gets its extra damage from using its bonus action as well. Mm. That'd be hiding, disengaging, etc. And I think if you were to add both together, it becomes a confused bonus action that's bigger than the discussion we had last week. Mm. I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. I just think, even though last week I was saying... It doesn't matter. If you're doing Misty Step, you're not bonus action attacking with your little pet is fine because you're getting the fuck out of dodge. In this case, I could be Misty Stepping as my bonus action or doing extra damage as my bonus action or setting myself up for next turn as a bonus action with Zephyr Strike, for example. 
or hiding, dashing, or disengaging as a bonus action. I just think it becomes too much. Yeah. And adding Nature's Mantle, because I'm not sure which of the two I would choose, Elvenkind or Nature's Mantle, I still don't really know. Adding Nature's Mantle to hide as a bonus action is a really nice little thing that you can do where you want advantage on your first turn. You hide as a bonus action. You do, you know, crit fishing maybe. Yeah. That's a nice option. It being always there, I wouldn't know what to do with my bonus action and I would be tearing my hair out. Uh, two things that I was thinking sort of after the, the discussion we had... I think bonus actions have come up the last two weeks mm. things because first of all we were talking about like the cleric and I <laughs> I said like if you're a cleric what do you want to be doing with your bonus action is spiritual web oh healing web yeah we had that discussion about you have things you want to be doing with your bonus action and artificer was you know that times ten because your bonus action is your little robot mm-hmm. and it's a fairly hefty chunk of damage the the two things that I was thinking about that is. When I've played other games with like newer players, most of them haven't even used bonus actions. Mm. Like most, I think a lot of newer players either don't know about it or don't really know how to get the best use out of it. And I think when you find out about bonus, and I think I, I've been sort of guilty about this, is when you find out about bonus actions, you think, that's a second thing I can do on my turn. That's incredible. And it is... But then you get to a certain point with that where you can overburden yourself with things that you can do on your bonus action. Hitching myself a lot with the monk on what do I do with my bonus action. And also, especially with the drunken master, where it's like you do this bonus action and you get the benefit of this. If you do this bonus action, you get the benefit of this. And then I've got a weird thing with my dwarf that I can draw into that. Mm -hmm. So I'm having trouble remembering which things work together on my bonus action. And I think... You can sort of get, you option can have paralysis. choice. Yeah, option paralysis. I was just coming, I was just going to say. Um, no, no, it, it's good that we kind of came together on that point that you can get option paralysis. And then, in the way that you do with a lot of sort of progressions of the path of knowledge, you start off not knowing about something mm-hmm. and then you start off knowing about it. And so you research and you research and you hit a point where you know too much. Mm-hmm. And then you come out the other side and you go, Maybe I should just not give a shit about that so much, (laughs) you know? And I think that's where I'm coming to with the bonus actions is like, yeah, it's great, but don't knock yourself out too much about it. Because the other thing that I was Mm -hmm. thinking while I was building this is another conflict with the fact that you've got Hobgoblin and you've got Ranger is there's a lot of the cool things you can do with Ranger, particularly like the Horizon Walker Planar Warrior thing that uses your bonus action slot. Hobgoblin, you've got a whole mechanic with being able to use the help action as a bonus action, Mm -hmm. which we'll go into the possibilities of that in the second half because it's something we're both going to use. But that was a conflict between what you can do as a ranger and what you can do as a hobgoblin. We'll discuss it in the second half. Yeah, I'm biting my tongue, which is difficult for me. Discussing what we can do is something that's going to impact both characters. So I think it's good to discuss it in the second half. Yeah. But it is a conflict that Mm -hmm. I spotted with it. DM permissions needed, obviously. It's gonna. Not every setting is going to allow firearms. So in that case, you could just whip out a crossbow. Mm -hmm. It would be funnier if it was a hand crossbow, but it would be more difficult to afford to get Yes, it would be, though, 75 GP. Which is a lot for a, a sub. Do you mind if I ask how much is a pistol to buy? 
pistol is you have to negotiate with the deal. I don't think there is a standard listing. Oh, really? I don't think there is a, a standard thing for it. I mean, I took a plus one pistol as a magic item. Oh, okay, if I just of course, look of course. up pistol... 250. 250 gold pieces. So that is going to be a lot for a normal pistol for lower level characters. Man, and it's a D10 of damage. 1D10 plus 4. And it has the loading property? Yeah, the basic pistol, because this is like a flintlock pistol, so it's not like no, 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 the I, pepper I... box from Vox Machina, where you've got, you've got a number of barrels that you preload. This is a, a sort of flintlock pistol where you, you're dropping the pellet into the thing, fitting some powder, pulling the hammer back, and then firing. Gunner allows you to ignore the loading property, doesn't it? Yes, it that's, does. That's why so I was that's asking. Why, that's why, if you have two attacks... You can use the pistol twice on your thing. But, again, as I said, this is not 100% optimal character. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Tell me about your spells. So I chose Absorb Elements as well because you can use that on the whip, which that kind of makes up for the damage. I think... Is it only yeah? Melee it's a melee. Attack. It's a melee attack. So, in order to be able to use that bonus damage that you get from absorb elements, to be able to return that to somebody else who's using the whip, and the good thing about you know obviously the whip's got reach. So, if somebody's slightly out of reach, you can run up or almost to them, just whack and get that damage back out there. I went with animal friendship because I couldn't really think of many other spells that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I say this as somebody who loves a person with ADHD, mm. but rangers feel like an ADHD class because everything knocks their concentration off. This was the big problem that I had with the spells, is there's so many spells that are unique to ranger, no other class gets them, and you look at them and you think, oh, that's so great. But every time you use them, if you want to cast something else it knocks that spell off and you have to use another spell slot casting the other thing. In the same way that you were saying about having like OCD and it almost like hurting your brain. Mm -hmm. I get irritable brain syndrome sometimes (laughs) about things that make me think too much or where I get myself stuck in a loop thinking about it. There's some, some things that don't sit well with me and that idea of like... I'll call it the brain stucks. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and things like that so there's loads of things like you get is it branding smite that they get that's an optional spell but it is there that is one of the spells that's there but again you read that and you think oh that's fantastic but you'd have to drop the burn damage if you wanted to do something else and if you're not doing the burn damage it's it's only for that one turn though because it's it's concentration so that if you get knocked in between you casting that spell and doing it if you do it as a bonus action yeah. after you've realised you should have done an attack. The thing that keyed me into it was the fact that it was like you were saying about Hunter's Mark, you were going off it a bit. Because yeah. you have to use your bonus action to move it mm. and it costs you a spell slot to use it. That was why I went with the Favoured Foe one because that's you've got three uses of it. Is it equal to your Wisdom? I mark? believe it's Proficiency Bonus. Your proficiency Bonus, yeah. I could so be you completely get, wrong on that. You get more of those at higher levels, but it means that you're not using a spell slot every time. You want to have that hopping around. And you, I don't think you can jump it to a different opponent the way you do with Hunter's Mark, but it just means that you get that without having to use up a, a spell known with it. And so I got Ensnaring Strike. You already know Protection from Evil and Good. Second level, <laughs> Locate Object. Mm. because again if you're going into a temple and you've done your research you've done your history checks and you've done your religion checks you know roughly what the artifact is going to look like 
you can just locate it and then you know exactly which which way you're heading into that ruin. Absolutely. That's again, really good. You've got Misty Step Known as well, which I don't really feel like fits the fluff of this character, but it is a good one. For the Deft Explorer, which I took, it's uh, Tasha's replacement for, is it Favoured Terrain, the original version of it was? Natural Explorer. Yeah, basically it gives me proficiency in deep speech and primordial as languages. So again, looking around ruins, looking Mm -hmm. around old ruins for things. History, I took the expertise in. Took the Favoured Foe because I thought it was good. Took proficiencies in investigation, stealth and survival. Dueling fighting style. So when you're wielding a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you gain a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. So again, Mm. I'm not wielding the pistol offhand. It's not a sort of gunner, make it as a bonus action attack. It's I am either using the pistol or the whip. So if I'm using the whip, that means I gain a plus two to damage, which that was why it had that plus five to damage on it. Which kind of makes up for the fact that it's only a D4 in damage. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting I like that yeah Focus by the, the way yeah. just to just to say I've realised I'm recording when I say I like that in that certain way it sounds really condescending I want all the listeners to know I genuinely mean it <laughs> that I do like that yeah, this yeah. is unfortunately how I talk <laughs> detect portal I couldn't really find any use for it's, it's there can I let you in on a secret mm-hmm. in our home game I have deliberately set up things so that if anyone were to play Horizon Walker, that ability would be useful because I love <laughs> Horizon Walker so much. Someone was saying, if you're playing in Sigil, the city of doors, I mean, like, that's the best thing going. <laughs> yeah. If you're playing, I believe it's the Descent into Avernus campaign. This, again, is second-hand information to me. But apparently there's a lot of portals between different things. Mm. Really useful. You can find your way to the nearest portal. In most people's games... I don't think it's that useful. Yeah. Which is a shame, but there it is. Certain settings it could be really yeah, it could yeah. be really useful, yeah. So I think the final thing is one of the tool proficiencies I didn't mention was cartographer's tools. Mm-hmm. But again, that's like so that you can have a map and you can mark where the tombs and where the interesting yeah. things are on it. I don't think I've got anything else. I think that's everything on this character. The backstory is Indiana Jones. I wish you'd written that in the box. Yeah, he's Indiana Jones. Cool. I'm holding my tongue because I want to say something about bonus action spells. Yeah, and and I think think we're both going to have things to say about Fey Gift as well, which is an interesting one, but we'll... uh, We'll talk about that after the break. We'll both go and refill our drinks, say hello to Dog, who has wandered off now, and see you in the second half. All right. See, there's a dog. There's a good boy. Get all that out of the way. Is that a big scratch there? Yeah. Yeah. So we've returned. We have returned. We've returned. I would like to discuss mm-hmm. ranges and spells and bonus actions. Yes. I said this last week. When you have things that can occupy your bonus action, such as Misty Step, this planar warrior feature, the help action that yeah. you get from Hobgoblin, I see them as similar to when you play a wizard. You are watching the round happen and working out what the most effective thing you could be doing is Mm. with the spell. So when you're playing a wizard, you don't just go, well, I'm fireballing next turn. You go, all right, I can fireball all of those gribblies over there next turn. My mates are in there, so now I have to work out whether actually I want to be hasting next turn. Because Mm. then I can put it on my paladin and my paladin can do a load of attacks and they're in the combat, base-to-base contact with the biggest thing in the room. 
So that's going to be more effective than fireballing the Gribblies, right? Similarly, I see, do I want to Misty Step out of this, or bonus action, extra d4, or Zephyr Strike, I've already Zephyr Strike, therefore I can move out of the way anyway and don't need Misty Step. I see those as similar to that circumstance with the Wizard. What is my next most effective thing? And looking at the Hobgoblin extra things where you can help as a bonus action three times per long rest... So let's look at the first one. Fae Gift Hospitality. You and the creature you help gain 1d6 plus 3 temporary HP. Mm. When I'm lower on health, and that's lower on health, I help them, they get 1d6 plus 3, so that's between 4 and 9 health back, and I presume that's 1d6 plus proficiency bonus, actually. I get my temporary HP, which can heal me up and them up. Next turn, I could kill that thing with an extra d8, but it's already on its last legs, so that's overkill. And in fact, it's much more important that I heal that person this turn. Admittedly, if you've already got healing spirit up, it's not so much of a big deal. But you get what I'm saying. That's the most effective thing this turn. It's interesting because one of the things that you were saying last week was, why would you heal if you can just, you know, if the thing's already dead? Yeah. And then we literally in our home game had a situation that's like, oh, that's why you heal. <laughs> <laughs> The Fagif Passage, you and the creature you help incre each increase your walking speeds by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. If you know that the fighter, paladin, barbarian, rogue can't get up to that person quick enough, you can add 10 feet to their movement speed. And then even though you're just doing your two normal attacks and that person getting con combat, what's better, you having 1d8 or them having a whole round? Mm. The, the answer's very obvious, them or, having a whole round. Or the monk that we've built before, <laughs> that has four four attacks and mobility. Yeah. yeah. You give them an extra 10 for a movement. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> victory lap of the battlefield. You exactly. Fae Gift Spite until the start of your next turn. The first time the creature you help hits a target with an attack, that target has disadvantage on the next attack roll it makes within the next minute. This means that if you've got your frontliner, your main damage dealer, yeah. right next to the opposition wizard, you help them... Next turn, they action surge or whatever. They don't quite kill it. Now, this thing can only run away because it has disadvantage on the next attack roll. And almost all of their attack roll spells are going to be actions and therefore they're going to have to waste an action to then do anything else. That doesn't still count if they cast a spell where you have to save, does no, it? No, it does not. Right, okay. And it goes up and down what's better, an attack roll or a saving throw. But in that situation, it would clearly be better for your opponent, the person that you've given disadvantage, it would clearly be better for them to Use that. a saving throw, but what if your party's blessed? Yeah. And can I just ask something about the wording on that? Because it says it gives them disadvantage on their next... Uh, that target has disadvantage on the next tech roll it makes within the next minute. Oh, within the, so that's for that entire combat? Yeah. The next attack roll... So even if they do that thing of going, aha, well, I'm going to cast a spell where you make a saving throw. doesn't matter any time they make an attack, attack roll, roll for the rest of that combat. Spell attack, yeah. melee attack. So you've essentially made any spells that rely on an attack roll, you've made them so much more difficult. Yeah, and they have to burn an action. They might still hit, but they have a, to burn an action to get rid of that disadvantage. Mm. And even if they do hit, they might still miss on a crit. Admittedly, we're getting to the ifs and buts and whys and wherefores. Yeah, yeah. And decreasing the likelihood of this situation coming up. All right, let's take it away from a wizard. If you help your wizard who is being attacked by a rogue... That's you, true, yeah. You've... They now have disadvantage, which means no sneak attack. 
So that in a situation where they would have advantage and get sneak attack, you've robbed them of that, so it's just a straight roll. roll. Yeah, you've removed sneak attack from them, which, depending on what level you are, that can be really useful or not so useful. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of situations off the top of my head, and so these aren't going to be very well thought out, but... They're going to be a hell of a lot better than the ones that I come up with. I, I just... You know what we were saying? That some people get caught up on bonus actions. I think I'm possibly just coming out of that point, but I'm still very much, when I build a character, I'm, I'm really getting caught up on the bonus actions. I like as many tools in the toolbox as possible, mm. within reason. And what I was saying previously about taking Ranger Rogue so that you could have Sneak Attack or a, a D8, for some people, that's great. I can add Sneak Attack for a D6... Or I can add a D8. Yeah. Like, that's that's great. Happy days. Uh, that's the best thing ever. I can have D8 of force damage or D6 of the damage <laughs> I'm already doing, depending on the situation. What do I want to use my bonus action for? Do I want to hide to have advantage, or do yeah. I want to use a D8? And I think that's a useful way of looking at it, is if you have lots of options that do different things, mm-hmm. then you have options you can use as a bonus action. Where it comes to a conflict for me mm. is when you have one good ability that relies on the bonus action, you have another good ability that would work in the same situation, mm-hmm. and you end up getting yourself into that brainstuck loop of like the difference between taking Ranger to level 5 or, or a- taking it to level 4 and adding a level of Rogue for the D6 damage is you end up in that kind of loop of, well, I could do that, but then I'm missing out on the two attacks, but I've got these abilities that feed into this and I've got this and this and this. You know, your thoughts can kind of start to spiral down into mm-hmm. that kind of, oh, I don't know. But when you've got lots of options you can do with your bonus action, that's really good. That's really nice. It's when you get yourself into a situation where you're thinking, oh, shit, I can't do this. <laughs> big trick because that knocks it off that yeah that's the difference to me is when you have options and when you have conflicts in the I, bonus action slot i deliberately quote unquote optimize my spells so that i have the most options from my spells and don't have conflicts and that's heavy air quotes here a skill <laughs> that- yeah i try to do that but i just don't think i get it right a lot of the time but we've spoken before how I prefer to set up for one bloody good round. Yeah. So that, like, it's taken three to four D8 of force damage or whatever, so that there's no resistances. I knock down a huge portion of its health, and now everything else can go in there and fuck it up. No, it's going to die soon. Yeah. Excuse my language. That's a conscious choice on my part that I am bonus actioning before, and because I'm using Zephyr Strike. I don't take opportunity attacks anymore because I'm deliberately choosing Zephyr Strike to get that one thing. I also don't need to take a level of Rogue because I still get my quote-unquote sneak attack next turn and I can disengage. I think I get stuck on the idea of concentration spells. I think of them as you cast them and then you keep them going. I almost feel like with Ranger... The reason that you have concentration on all of these things is so that you can't stack them. You can't have too many damage bonuses on top of each other because it starts to get silly. I mean, we've discussed in previous week, if you have the cleric slash paladin casts the thing that gives you an extra D4 onto every attack. um, If the wizard has, you know, made you swole so that you're doing an extra D4 for that, you can start to stack bonus on top of bonus on top of bonus. And I think when it's adding bonus damage, that feels good because then the end result of that is you have a big old handful of dice and that always feels good. That always feels good to have 
a ridiculous amount of dice. Let's just... But... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The round off for that is with concentration spells. My first thought looking at this, and the thing that I said at the start that made me so mad, was looking at all of these spells and thinking, oh, that's great. But the effect that keeps going is kind of useless. And I think it's because I was looking at them backwards. Because I was looking at, you can cast Zephyr Strike and you can have somebody who's running around the battlefield like a bellend and they can do an extra thing of damage. And then I was thinking, yeah, but if you want to cast this, that knocks Zephyr Strike off. I think you need to be looking at it in a different way, like you said, where you have one turn where you do your running around and don't get the bonus action attacks. And then at the start of the next turn, you do that huge wallop of damage and then you treat Zephyr Strike as if it's gone. Yeah. And I think that kind of negates Branding Strike because the big pull of Branding Strike is that you hit something with it and then you have the burn damage afterwards with Entangling Strike that as well. smite? Do I they stay pro- burned? I'm probably getting it wrong. It's, uh, I, don't I know that are. there is something that's called Something's uh, Smite. That you I haven't added the extra range of spells. Uh, that might be why. But See, I, I, I will look it up and tell you. Yeah. you. You carry on. Worth mentioning, when you're building a ranger and you're looking at the additional options, when D&D Beyond lists it, at the top it puts the things that you can replace... And then it shows you the things that you won't get for a couple of levels. So it shows you the things that you can replace at level 8 and, and higher levels. So there's a temptation to scroll down until you see that thing that you get at level 8 and go, ah, okay, that's it. If you scroll past those, you get the additional options, which is things like the additional spell list that you can add to it, which that's a bonus thing that goes on top. It doesn't replace anything. So Searing smites. Deals an I extra thought it was one. Branding Smite, but it's Branding serious. Smite is the cleric one. It's Paladins, but I think clerics now have access to it. War clerics get it. Thank you. Yes, that's, that's it. I'm confusing two weeks ago. This is great. No, I think that's the only reason that it's occurred to me. Oh, right. We were just doing... Like, I was just editing <laughs> it last week, so... Yeah, so yeah. Searing Smite adds a D6 fire damage every turn. So that's worth keeping concentration, because you hit yeah. them, you concentrate on them, and do, 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 do. they yeah. keep taking damage every turn. But it means you can't do the favoured foe thing because you don't use a spell slot to cast it, but it says you have to maintain concentration on it as if it was a spell. But they're situational. The reason that I looked at that particularly mm-hmm. was because... Ooh, smites, I think. is. <laughs> well, no, the, the reason that I looked at that over Hunter's Mark was because I was thinking every time it you have to burn another spell slot to put Hunter's Mark back on something... Whereas you're not burning spell slots when you're doing favoured foe. You can move it as a hunter's mark, you can move as a bonus action. Hunter's, hunter's mark, you can move as a bonus action, but so if you want to do anything else with your concentration, it gets knocked off. Searing Smite's the same, though. Yeah, damage. Searing Smite is the same, but with favoured foe, what I'm saying is every time it gets knocked off after, after concentration, oh, right, yeah, you can just do it for not, free. Yeah, you're not using up a spell slot, but you're, you're using, using an ability slot instead. So it doesn't affect like how many spells you have to cast. Mm. I mentioned in our very first episode that Jacob from XP to level three, who's now had a baby. Hey. Wee. Good boy. Um, I don't... Why the fuck did I say good boy? <laughs> Jacob, you're a good boy. Yeah. Simon said... Jacob, it's good boy. Well done, you're a good boy. Yeah, you can have a treat. Oh, God, that's so awful. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jacob said he likes to think of Ranger's spells as abilities that you're using the convenience of spell slots for. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's how I think of it. Mm. And that's why I like to think of them as more extra abilities you can take. So let's take Pass Without Trace. 
Action yeah. to cast, now everyone's got pass without trace. It's concentration. When I'm using that to stealth past someone, and then I go, oh, there they are. I'll get them with my first attack, or the rogue cap. I don't mind dropping concentration for that, because the point has ended. Yeah, pass without a trace feels like either a non-combat or... The DM sets up the board and you see how far into the board you can sneak with the party before you get picked up. Healing Spirit. I said I would use it outside of combat rather than in. But for an emergency, it's perfect for in combat. But it comes back to that choice of, right now, do I need Healing Spirit? Or do I need an extra D8 of damage on this bastard? Or to maintain Zephyr Strike so that I can get Mm. one big hit in and take off a huge chunk of health. Mm. And then I can heal them afterwards. And to me, the problem with making that choice is every time you make that choice, it costs you a spell slot. But we're doing... I'll tell you what we're doing again. Mm. We are looking at this class isolationist. Pass Without Trace is still available to druids. Pass Without Trace is available to the trickery domain, the druid, the circle of the land druid gets it for free, so it always knows it, and the ranger. It's really tempting to look at these spells and go, I'm the only one who can cast Pass Without Trace. Probably not. I'm the only one who can cast Hex? Probably not. And I think it's really commonplace for us to look at these things in isolation, as I said, and go, oh, I need to be using my concentration for this, I need to be using my concentration for this. Yeah. No, you have the option for when the cleric is low on health, you then transition to to healing spirit, send it over there, heal him up, and now your cleric can continue being a cleric. You save the party. Healing spirit in combat, you're not going to be the only healer. And mm. if you are the only healer, God help you. <laughs> what's what's the range on healing spirit? 60 foot. Yeah. So what I'm asking is, how far away from the cleric can the cleric drop the spirit? And then how far away from the spirit do you have to be to receive the healing? You have to be in the same space as the spirit. Right. Okay. But you can drop it 60... F- I'm just... So what I'm thinking is the cleric could drop it next to the melee class. So if you've got a boss fight where people are going to be mostly within the same zone, Mm -hmm. you could drop it there. And then that means that, okay, a lot of DMs to counteract that will just have the big bad move back Mm -hmm. or, you know, misty step away. Well, yeah. So you you could just keep moving it next to the the things. It doesn't say... It just says, as a bonus action on, t- on your turn, you can move the spirit up to 30 feet to a space you can see. Mm. It doesn't say it has to stay within 60 feet. You can just cast it 60 feet away and then move it further. According how I'm reading this right now, if that's untrue, mm. Jeremy Crawf- Crawford will have said. Yeah. But um, <laughs> somewhere. But even then, 60 foot on the battle maps that most people have humongous yeah there, there's that's that's huge mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's i know you have that incredibly useful little book of maps and i think like for the most part i don't really think 60 by 60 is what it is yeah so i don't maybe think, maybe less maybe 50 by yeah, 50 but. so i think like most of the battles that we've had on those maps there's you're not really going to get outside of 60 foot for most no. encounters and especially with most people are going to be playing on maps that are like dungeons or mm-hmm. pirate ships or castles or whatever they're not going to be that big they're not going to be that big a room so for the most part i don't think you're really going to get outside of that 60 foot to really worry about 
the healing spirit being too far oh, away right. from no, the cleric no. or the cleric having to move to keep up with the healing spirit. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. What I was thinking about mostly is in terms of like when the cleric needs to do that, you know, just cast it right next to, you know. It'll be the druid. It can sh- it. Clerics should be able to cast it. No, because it's fey magic. It belongs to druid or ranger. Okay, Sam, Sam must have taken a... Uh, it might be an optional... That's interesting. Uh, let me check whether it's an option. That's interesting because it because Sam has got a weird custom Matt Mercer subclass, so it might be that he's only got that spell because of that, or it could have been Ashley Johnson was off at one point, and she was texting into Laura to say what to do. So it may actually have been Ashley that cast it. Clerics don't get it. Okay. Clerics don't get it. No, but that's what I'm saying. Sam has a weird Matt Mercer subclass, so it's entirely possible that he's got that mm-hmm. from the Druid spell list. Or it was list. Ashley, yeah. But yeah, so the point of all of that gibberish was yes. Healer casts it next to the two tanks. Or I don't think, because it's ethereal, yeah. you can cast it on the same space as a creature. Yeah, you can just put it there first turn yeah, so you can in put the it, creature space. Yes, yeah, so you could put it on top. Well, in most of the situations, you have sort of boss... And then you have one of the melee classes on one side and one of the melee classes on the other side to give them advantage. I was just reading the rules for positioning the other day and five foot diagonally counts. Mm -hmm. There are some suggested rules you can look up online that means if you're traveling a long distance diagonally, it cuts down on your movement. But I do that. Yeah. It's five feet for the first diagonal and ten feet for the second. Yeah. But it means that... I might have to... So when you're doing that, when you've got two melee classes flanking, you position the healing spirit to one side of it, so that then either melee class counts as being within five foot of it. I think it has for the purposes of the healing. I think it has to be in its space though. Yeah, moves into the spirit space. Okay, but then they can pop round, heal, pop back, do the damage, and they've still got flanking. Mm. Because obviously, if you put it too far away from the boss, then they're going to have to break melee range. And they'll take an attack of opportunity. But it's when it starts its turn there. So you could move it onto it Mm. for your turn, heal someone, and next turn move it, and you can move it through the boss to heal the next person. But then are you using using a bonus action to move it? Yes. But at that point, what's more important? Keeping the fighter alive who can action action surge or your Mm. 1d8? Yeah. Um, Like... I think this is what I'm talking about when I say oh, I pick my spells carefully and go, this is my spell for this occasion, this is for this occasion, this is for this occasion. Yeah. And the same thing with the Fey Gifts. Do I want to give advantage to my fighter or my paladin or my rogue or my barbarian? Mm. Or do I want to add an extra D8? Which of those is actually more is actually weightier? If you had a pair of scales, you put a D8 on one side and you put advantage for a paladin on the other. I think you'll find the advantage for a paladin weighs heavier. Yeah. If you're the only frontliner in your party, the D8's worth it far more. But that also means you've got a wizard in the party who can probably cast Enlarge Reduce and make you even bigger and tankier, or cast Haste on you at, at, at certain levels. You know, you probably have a cleric or a bard or any of these other things that can bolster you to be doing more damage anyway. Yeah. So that D8 becomes inconsequential compared to, I'm going to help the wizard or the cleric or whatever, so now that guiding bolt has advantage. (laughs) Now we all have advantage on the net. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think this is what I mean when I say we look at things in a vacuum. Think about party composition. 
if you're in, a, in with a paladin and a bard, yeah. do you want to be doing that 1d8 of extra damage, or do you want to be the person in between both of those doing two attacks with a bow and then helping your paladin get a crit for the next smite? I think one of those is more valuable than the other. And I have the option of, if my paladin goes down, Zephyr Strike, big turn, bam, take the target out, which is more helpful. Or I have Healing Spirit, or Zephyr Strike, so I can move away. Like, all, all of these things have uses, and I think it's there is a tendency to get hung up on damage of the individual mm. rather than damage of the party. And if you're being hasted by your wizard, or you've taken Divine Favour, or you've... Um, the help action allows you to give advantage to someone else, just in case. No, I'm just, I was looking up, do you have to be standing next to someone to do it? What's the range on the help action? So, the creature you add gains advantage on the next ability check it makes to perform the task you're helping with, provided that it makes the check before the start of your next turn. Alternatively, you can add a, aid a friendly creature in attacking a creature within five feet of you. You faint, distract the target, or in some other way, team up to make your allies' attack more effective. If your ally attacks the target before your next turn, the first attack roll is made with advantage. I'm sure this is something that Sage Advice has probably clarified, but with the Hobgoblin, particularly with the way their help actions are worded, you, is that something you can deploy at range? Uh, no, I don't believe it's ranged. I think you have to be up close. Okay, so that would be an argument for having Hobgoblin as a melee ranger. Yeah, but yeah. Then I still think that that help action, say we take the spite one, which mm -hmm. gives that creature disadvantage, you have helped yourself by giving... Let's take the Paladin as an example. Mm -hmm. You and the Paladin are up front. The Paladin now has advantage. The big bad has disadvantage on their next attack roll if they try and hit you. Like, you've helped yourself. And is that worth a D8? Yeah. At later levels, is it worth 2D8 of force damage and turning your attack into force damage? Mm. I'm starting to see why we might say no. But at level one, a ranger on its own, without being a horizon walker yet, that's so helpful. Mm. If you're making a check in combat, so if someone has to work out, you know, you're being attacked, you're in front of a great machine or trying to turn off a trap or something like that. I'm right up next to them. I've shot two arrows at the two gribblies coming after us. Bang. Have help. You now have an advantage to turn the trap off that's killing us. Mm. That's really useful. Also so is Zephyr Strike. Also so is Searing Smite. Also so is Healing Spirit. I just think they're... They're all really useful, they're just situational, and I think it's up to the player to go, what situations do I think I'm going to come in contact with, and what do I value more in that situation? Yeah. Is it a D8, or is it all of these things? <clears throat> yeah. So, I think that's good for race and class. Mm -hmm. For subclass, Horizon Walker. I love it. I know you really like it. And that was why initially when I started doing this, I felt so bad because I hated rangers <laughs> so much that I was like, you have said so many times how much you love rangers as a dip and particularly how you were like, oh, Horizon Walker is my favorite. Uh, that doesn't mean why. it's the strongest. I can that doesn't mean it's the strongest. No, I'm, I'm not saying because it's the strongest. I can see why you love it because having that like, oh, I've got nothing else to do with my bonus action. That's an extra D8 on my attack. And it turns that your first is, attack into force damage. Yeah, the that first is so good. It's awesome. It's such a good ability. Mm. That's level three that you get that. That's Gloomstalker's getting an extra attack on the first turn of combat at level three. Mm. So, like, you know, would I rather have, at level five, three attacks on the first turn or an extra D8? Mm. 
Mm. But I think situationally, it's so nice because there are so many situations where you think, like you were saying, that there's, you have this broad toolkit of things mm-hmm. you can do with your bonus action. It is nice to be able to think like, I don't have any of these bonus actions that I particularly like, so I'll just have an extra D8 damage. <laughs> yeah. it, that is like, <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't trump any of the others mm-hmm. sort of overall, but it's a lovely option to have in your toolkit because if none of the other thing, you know, if nothing else fits, I've you've never, got one thing you can consistently... I've never thought of it as it is your backup bonus action, but that's what it is. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with the Artificer from last week. Mm. Is your backup bonus action. I'm not doing my bonus action this turn at a D8. Where this is different to the War Cleric is that the, the extra attack is not a backup in the same way as oh, I cast Spiritual Weapon, mm. which isn't even concentration, so it can't go down. Like, what would you rather have? Oh, I do one club attack, or here's my massive hammer made of radiant damage. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. Yeah. This, and the Artificer, it is your backup bonus attack. Plus, I couldn't see any limitations on how many times you can do that Horizon Walker thing. There are none. That's a thing you can just do. Yeah. With the War Cleric, you can do it, what, three times? Times a day, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can do it three times in a long rest. It's your Wisdom modifier, a long rest. Yeah. Which is still pathetic. It's, it, you get... If it was short rest, I'd actually be less inclined to hate it, but yeah. still. But you get, there is a limitation on mm-hmm. the amount of times you can do that as a War Cleric. Whereas with the Horizon Walker, it's just, it's always there. Have a bonus action, it's do some all, extra damage. Yeah, it's always an it, it's always an option. So if you don't have something situational that you need to do mm-hmm. with your bonus action, you've got that extra damage. One thing that you said earlier on that I thought was really useful is thinking of it as you cast this on the previous turn and you're setting your next turn up for it to go off. Yeah. So on one turn, like you say, you run around, you sort, you, you know, you... Do a bit of damage yeah. to some gribblies. Do a bit of damage to some gri- to some gribblies. You set up for it, and then on the next turn, you have like you know your Zephyr strike goes off. Your bonus action. You can use your bonus action to do the extra damage. And and if, with Zephyr strike, you can say, "I yeah. make this attack with advantage." And if you're at higher levels and you've taken the rogue, you've taken one level in rogue. Then you've also got the sneak. At- you know, potentially yeah. you can potentially add sneak attack damage to it. Or here again, comboing with Zephyr strike. You take you take Zephyr Strike to zip between enemies because remember rogues get disengaged as a bonus action. You get one bonus action per turn. Mm. If you wanted to zip between two enemies, sorry, between three enemies, mm. you wouldn't be able to disengage. Yeah. However, if you did that first turn against two Griblies, make your way up to the boss, and next turn do your Nova damage, you've ended Zephyr Strike. Hey, guess what? If yeah. you didn't use your bonus action, you can now disengage. <laughs> Well, this is one thing that I think about. This is probably cracking the lid on a a big discussion, but positioning for DMs when they're setting up an encounter is a lot of the time DMs, I think, just go like, okay, plonk, 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 there's your bad guy, there's your ads. Your ads have that five foot around them. Essentially, they they have that little bubble around them where if a player tries to pass through it, an opportunity attack is going to happen. So if you set your encounter up with, you know, columns, walls... Uh, little bits of scenery and you position the gribblies in front of the boss Mm -hmm. so that the players have to do a meat grinder run through a bunch of enemies to get to the boss if you zephyr strike 
you bypass that entire man that entire mechanic you cast that you run through as you're on your way past you take some you you know you use your two attacks to take a pop at a couple of the griblies mm-hmm. on the way to the boss but then you just run past the rest of them and you sit near the boss and you're just like right i have gotten past all of those mooks that were there mm-hmm. to stop me getting to the glass cannon who sat at the end of this hallway you yeah know. if it's a wizard for example or mm. um say it's micheletto yeah. in our in our home campaign fake micheletto yeah. fake micheletto he's clearly fake i haven't worked out who he actually is but it's someone mac- masquerading as micheletto but he's a necromancer right if he's got loads of like bodax and skelly bones and everything else mm. and you go yeah well i take out two skeletons and I zip past, and now I'm right up toe to toe, and he's going, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like, uh, just to just to spoil a couple of things there, a necromancy wizard has a fuck all they can do, yeah, for melee combat. So just has to jam mm. out. Well, even if we're not talking about that enemy, one of the things I intended to mention was Joseph Dungeons X Dragons on TikTok. Please, mm. please check out his stuff; it's great. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he mentioned in a comment to one of your many Polon Master runs was the bugbear yeah. has increased reach. I hate Polon As a racial Master. trait. I know you do. And in previous episodes, we have gone into that. Please go back and listen to them. But mm. as he said, if you have bugbear griblies protecting your wizard, they've got extra reach. Yeah, they've got, they've you got give 15 them polo- foot of reach. Yeah, you give them Poloms. 15 feet of reach. Yeah. They can cover a shitload. Of, they can block a hell of a lot of the map off. Absolutely. And so they as can a ranger, whips as well. Yeah, a rate. Well, yeah, whips as well. Mm-hmm. Ranger, you can just zip through that whole obstacle course. <laughs> yeah. You just bypass that whole thing. I mean, I know there's other ways of doing it, like well, fly, what, misty step, etc. On this character, this character's got misty step, but that's only thirty foot, isn't it? If you zephyr strike and then dash. You you pass the whole lot. Yeah. On most on most maps, like I say, the the map terrain, the map sizes that most people are going to tend to be using, you just run straight past that. Hello, Hello lad. Bed. Bed, 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 bed. We do like you. I'm not being rude. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, no, no. them. I am just. I know. Preempting. I have noticed for misophonia warnings. There was one episode where. We did let him up onto the sofa and there was a lot of mouth noises that I had to try and remove. So boy does not sit in front of the microphone. Is it parabolic it's on? Cardioid. Cardioid. Yeah, he does not sit in front of the cardioid microphone anymore. No. Fuck Polar Master, man. Having said that, I've just made a slurping noise drinking this. That's right. I, I, I do it regularly. Yeah. But as he very helpfully pointed out, and I said, oh, God, nobody tell Steve. Um, <laughs> that's then you've got a weapon with... That's why foot, it didn't come up in my a notifications. With, yeah, you a weapon it. with 10-foot reach, and you've got like an, an extra, extra five, five on top of that. So It's nasty. You stick a bunch of bugbears on a map with glaives or halberds or whatever you're using as an extra reach weapon, and they're, they're just blocking the path. Pikes. To, yeah, they're blocking... I think pikes are even have an even longer reach. Oh, okay. Than usual. <laughs> Hang on, I just want to find out. Yeah. Because if I can do that, that'll upset everybody, and I won't do it. But um. Pikes have the same ten foot reach as the other weapons. However, it is worth noting that according to the wording of the polar master feat, it says, when you take the attack action and attack with only a glaive, halberd, quarterstaff, or spear, you can use a bonus action to make a melee attack with the opposite end of the weapon. So it sounds like you don't get the bonus action attack 
with a pike. However, the second part of the feat says, while you are wielding a glaive, halberd, pike, quarterstaff or spear, other creatures provoke an opportunity attack from you when they enter the reach yard with that weapon. So you could protect at range with it, but it's worth mentioning since we're talking about the polearm master feat again, that you don't get the offhand attack with it for some reason. It's one of the things about the rules that I kind of feel could be worded better because uh, yeah. there's things like... It is 10 foot of reach. There's things like you get disadvantage on your attack if you're within five foot of an enemy. A ranged attack, yeah. A ranged attack. You get disadvantage on a ranged attack if you're within five foot of an enemy. But I kind of feel like that should be within the reach of an enemy. Because if they yes. see you sort of like lining up for an attack, they can just nudge you or whatever. There's some things that I feel should be worded as within the reach of an enemy rather than within five foot of an enemy because of the amount of abilities and add-ons and traits and stuff that increase your reach. You've got that look on your face. What have you done? Lances have reach. Of? Ten foot. Yeah, stick a bugbear on the back of a horse. (laughs) Or a warg. Not good. No. So now it's got mobility and reach. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. This is how it happens. This is your fault. (laughs) what i was going to say previously about you know you misty stepping behind something and it's only Mm. 30 feet yeah that's a second level spell slot i say that not because i think it's shit i'm just saying like it's technically less movement but situationally i think more people are going to have access to that unless you're a like a monk with mobility yeah or Uh, a misty step yes more likely to yeah, that's that's what I mean. Unless you've got a specific thing that lets you ig- Hello, ignore. Hello, touched. Yeah, unless you've got a specific <laughs> thing that lets you ignore opportunity attacks, I think more people are going to have access to that thirty foot misty step mm-hmm. and try to to find a point that's not covered and jump there. It'd be really difficult though, though, because you'd still be within their reach. Whereas if you dashed, you'd move through them and yeah. take the extra thirty. Yeah, that's side. the thing is if you can move through without opportunity attacks you can dash and get probably get straight to the boss. Yeah. If you're misty stepping, you're going to have to f- carefully look at them and work out a spot that's not covered by any enemy's reach mm-hmm. and jump there and then hope that none of them run towards you on their turn. I... It would be more difficult to misty step than mm. it would to just blast straight through if you can ignore yeah. the opportunity attacks. If um... And this is an entirely hypothetical situation that I have brought up as well. No, but it's it I think our job sometimes on this podcast is to present options that people wouldn't ordinarily think of. Mm. And that's why I chose a melee ranger, for example. Admittedly, you wouldn't need to Zephyr Strike as a Horizon Walker Ranger if you were a bow wielding ranger because you could shoot through them. Yeah. But then you would still have to be within your range it's 150 feet for a long bow, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. But then they they have a better chance of shooting back. Yeah. Much of a muchness, you know? Even pistol is like 90 foot range, which... Mm. Is that the uh, normal range? I think that's long range. Oh, 90's long range, okay. Yeah. Is um, it 45 for short range? I'll just have a quick shifty. Oh, it's 30-90 is the range. So it's 30, 30 short range or 90 with disadvantage. That's That's no good... Yeah, it's fine, but I mean, yeah. for for the situation we're talking about. But that's the difference with a pistol. Is I think it's not you've got to balance out that d10 damage somehow. So the uh, I think that's that's shorter than like a crossbow, isn't it? It's shorter than a short bow. Yeah, 
I'll check that, but I think it's shorter than short. But I think the the range is is how they sort of balance out the idea of of pistols is that they're more damage at shorter ranges. So you do yeah. have the risk of if you if you're attacking with disadvantage. Yeah. So is that that's a that's a short bow. That's a short bow is eighty with three hundred and twenty long range. Yeah. Yeah. So even a short bow is going to be able to to hit that. Thirty foot for a, a pistol is very much sort of ranged but not very ranged uh, i'm just looking at yeah the hand crossbow is 30 feet and 120 120 feet maximum but it also deals a d6 and it's light and you can take crossbow expert and blah, 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 blah. yeah all of, all of that yeah multi-class options and future of the build unless there's anything else about subclass that you wanted to i think the horizon war this is a point i wanted to make earlier yeah. i think rangers are a more advanced build I think it takes a certain level of discipline, maybe, to go, I want this for this situation, I want this for this situation, I want this for this situation. They're three separate things, I have a toolkit. As opposed to, I want to be doing the most damage, I want to be doing the most Hmm. healing, supporting, etc. I think it's a really... Advanced isn't the right word. I think it's just a a more consideration. I think it needs more work than, than others. It's not as idiot-proof as a paladin. I wander up, I use a spell slot, I kill it. I think you need to have a broader grasp of the rules Mm -hmm. to do it well. Like you say, with a paladin, the idea behind what you're doing is you are running up and you are using your spell slots to smite them. You're close to your allies, so they're in your aura for saving throws. And if, at, at if, higher levels, yeah. Yeah, if, if shit goes down, you move around the boss without provoking an opportunity attack, and you lay on hands to get them back up with... It's five for each yeah. level. Yeah. My wife's paladin is level seven. She's doing 30 healing in one action, which I don't think there's there's many other classes that get near that. Unless yeah, she can up- only do that. That's it then, yeah, for the but, day. You've got like upcasting cure wounds where you're still risking rolling low on all of the on all of the dice. True, 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 true. Unless you're, is it life domain? Oh, then you can fuck about with that then. Life domain, or there's higher level grave clerics do have a weird yeah, shit that yeah. they can do. Um, oh, that the grave cleric one is specific to when an enemy is downed, they get oh, the full okay, amount of full healing. healing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so paladins, it's fairly straightforward what you're doing with things. But I think you need to have played other classes and you need to have a good grasp of the rules to really get the best out of a ranger in a way that you don't with other things. It's kind of like with Sorcerer. I think you need to have more of a grasp on the action economy and the differences between a cantrip and a spell and what you can get out of a cantrip and a spell. Mm -hmm. I was watching Z Bashu's animated spell book, one of those on <laughs> when he retooled his sorcerer. Yeah. And he's sort of telling it as a story. I love that. A and, scopone. Yeah. But what he did with that is he quickened the scorching ray so that he could blast them all onto one target. Yeah. And then twin spelled firebolt so that he could hit the boss and he could hit the gribbly. Mm-hmm. And so you've really got to have a grasp of how things fit into different slots and what your meta magic is doing and stuff. It's a more complex version of the rules where once you can pull those things off, you can do spectacular things with them and it's great. That's three sorcery points to do that. But what a round. Yeah, exactly. All of that is, it's a great round and it's a great way to do things like that. 
but you've really got to be on the ball about what you can do and how the action economy works and mm -hmm. how things move into different slots. You really need to know all of that to get the best use out of that in a way that you don't with like a fighter, run out to them, twat them with your sword. And if you've got a subclass that can do something with a bonus action, fantastic. I think the Horizon Walker is the one ranger off the top of my head. I think it's the one ranger I would want to take for my ranger for my entire career. Yeah. I don't think it gets enough from Rogue for me to consider it. Two yeah. weeks ago I said War Cleric is my favourite one level dip for rangers. On a Gloomstalker, so it'd be level six, we're talking later levels obviously, we're talking future of the build here, we can talk about whatever level we want. Yeah. But level six, five levels of Gloomstalker, one level of War Cleric. Three attacks on the first turn, bonus action, divine favour. So yeah. every one of them gets an extra D4. Huge damage. Yeah. It's worth it there. Taking Rogue for it, so that you get your three attacks on your first turn and one of them's going to have sneak attack. Worth it. Horizon Walker, that's a D8 of force damage that you just get for free. It doesn't have the stipulations of using a spell slot or needing advantage or needing someone in... You know, the, the sneak attack rules. Or having a limit on the amount of times you can use it. Yeah. That's huge. That, to me, is the biggest it's thing humongous. about it. Comparable abilities that other classes have always seem to have a limit on the, the amount of times you can use them. Mm -hmm. Whereas Horizon Walker, it's just there. And I think we were talking just then about how I feel the Ranger is more of an advanced build. Yeah. I think this is true of Druids. Mm. I think this is true of sorcerers. I can see it being the case for bards as well. Whereas wizard, I have a spells. Warlock is definitely a more advanced build. I think it takes some time to work out what you need to do with a warlock. Yeah. Especially when you consider Hexblade. Mm. People go, oh, be Hexblade. You get this. Everything works off this one stat. That's actually more complicated than here's my attack stat. Here's my wizard stat. This is the stat I want for wizarding. If, if I was to present four new players with a paladin, a cleric, a wizard, and a fighter... Yeah. Wicked. That four new players would understand that. Like, oh, I'm the one with the magic sword. I'm the one who does the things. I've got the mm. magic spell book. Whereas if you presented a, a new players with a ranger, a druid, a sorcerer, and a warlock... God help those poor four people. <laughs> Where would you place monk on that? I would also put that with the ranger and the druid, I think. I'm feeling that with the monk that I'm playing at the moment. One of the things that I've said before online mm -hmm. and has not been received well is you have, you know, so if somebody from my family wants to play and they've never played before. And I've said before, if somebody's really lost with the rules, give them a fighter because it's, you, just, you just hit things with, with, you know, you hit things with your sword and they can join in at the table and there's no sort of, complex overrules and that really doesn't go down well with players who know the rules, the rules well right. yeah. to the extent that like like you say when you're thinking about horizon walker ranger and you're thinking you get this bonus attack d8 you can move that onto your main attack and blah 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 mm. when you have a grasp of the rules at that level there is a temptation to think, oh, but give them this class because they can do so many cool things and they can see D&D &D at their best. No, I disagree entirely. I think there are some classes that are... I've used the word fiddly mm -hmm. in the past, and to me that is a negative. If every time it comes to my turn, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, fuck, what do I do? 
or you know even if i've been looking at how the battlefield is moving on other people's turns seeing how things are going and seeing and thinking you know lining up in my head okay uh they've done this so i can do this even if i'm sitting like that i still get to my turn and i think oh is it patient defense where i get dodge or no i get disengaged when i do <laughs> flurry of blows i think if i may this might be your fault for choosing drunken master yeah, drunk drunken master is is a subclass. Your that's, fault in heavy quotation marks. Drunken master is a, and I've said on previous weeks. I don't want to change it now because it, it in a way, bringing it back to Neverwinter Smith. Yeah, Neverwinter Smith is a character that I see excelling outside of combat. Yes, as and well. And a lot yeah. of players who look at oh, take this class because you can do this, 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 and this in combat. Is it's like that's great. Fifth edition. There is so much of it now that is outside of combat and mm-hmm. expects you to do things out of combat. I've said before, fighter, a good thing to take on that is one of the magic initiate things. Just so you can do extra stuff. So yeah. that you've got cantrips that you can use outside of combat. So you can use like, you could just have a character who like literally big dumb fighter, but they walked into a magic shop and they bought a pack that gave them, you know, one use a day of this spell. Special magic polos. Yeah, it gave them one use of spell a day, and that's like really all that they mentally have the capacity for. Um, and you know, a couple of cantrips like they can do prestidigitation to make things interesting. How many times with Cesare did I walk into a room and instead of sitting there trying to describe something, I just I just created a little mini and then handed it round so that everybody could go, ugh. That's disgusting. That's a brain on legs. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that you have those things you can do outside of combat. And again, there's things like, is it a skill expert and skill master? There's skilled and skill expert. Yeah. One of them's really good and one of them's really crap. I can never never remember which one it is. There's one of them that gives you expertise in a skill. I think it's skill expert. Yeah, which that's always really good because then that gives you a skill that you can use in the non-combat checks. There's some hostility amongst people who are combat players and who just want a a dungeon run. There's some hostility. Jacob XP from Level 3 was dunking on someone who came into his mentions on Twitter this week Mm -hmm. about this. But there's a lot of hostility amongst players who see Dungeons & Dragons as purely a combat game. If you want to play it that way, do that. Like, have a blast, okay? I'm not shitting on anyone who plays D&D like that because... It can be fun to just have a dungeon run thing. But there are a lot of people who are coming in from things like Critical Role, Dimension 20, High Rollers, things like that. There are people, from the Dungeon Dudes. Yeah, Dungeon Dudes. Yeah, they've got their own campaign that they're that they're they're running. Yeah, um, they have a book out as well. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And they've got a second one coming. Nice. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm really tempted to get Dungeons & Drakenheim just because... That will definitely be a good read because they are such a good source of information for... This is exactly how this thing works. But also, these are some interesting things, things you, you can, can do, do with it. it. Yeah. Because they have that grasp on the rules where they can just look at it and be like, this is what this is. But the rounding off of that point is, if you if you want to play combat, that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that can be incredible fun to do. Genuinely that. think my partner would appreciate it if we just did dungeon runs. <laughs> yeah. But the social role play and stuff like that is becoming a bigger thing. The 5e does encourage the social role play you've got the whole background thing in there and stuff like that a lot of the skill checks that are in there are 
they're more you can do them in combat but they're designed for skill checks outside of combat and i think with fifth edition that's something you need to bear in mind i'm not mm-hmm. saying everybody needs to build for what you're doing when you're outside of combat yeah yeah but it's something you need to be aware of the kind of group you've got because if you've got a, a group who is just moving from combat encounter to a combat encounter great just factor in your combat skills you know you can min max and you can get rid of you can have minuses in the skills that you're not going to need mm-hmm. i would say a lot of groups that are getting together now are aware of critical role and they're going to be doing the out of combat stuff Absolutely. you are probably going to need to have a character who can do something outside of combat so that they're not just doing the, the thing of being i'm going to stand by the door so that they can't escape and then you know you can put a podcast on or you know make yourself a sandwich in the kitchen while everybody else uses all of the cool skills and cantrips and you know they're all casting guidance on each other and things like that and they're all doing all of this cool out of combat stuff and you're like i'll just go and make myself a sandwich you know because because you're only good in combat and like a good example of that is what you were saying about pass without a trace that's something that is either outside of combat to get past an encounter or use at the start of an encounter and then as soon as it fails and somebody gets spotted it doesn't matter that the concentration it, it doesn't matter that the concentration drops because you don't need it anymore anyway no, yeah. no. um i was trying to say way earlier i think the Horizon Walker is the one ranger you take all the way for as much as possible because each of the features builds upon each other mm. in weird ways. What are some of the higher level abilities that you get from oh, it then? Oh man, you're okay, you get haste on your spell list. <laughs> you don't have to learn. Oh, it. so it's one of the Horizon Walker ones. Horizon Walker spells. Oh, this is one of the things that I think we've said this but not 100% clearly before. When you're thinking about like your sort of spell economy might be a good way of putting it. You have two aspects to it, which is the spells that are available to you in combat. And you have your spell slots, which is the amount of spells you can cast. A lot of people look at just like how many spell slots you have left. as But it's so important. A lot of the subclasses and a lot of the Tasha's features that give you bonus spells, they just give you them as something that yeah. you always know yeah and that is huge in the uh, as we were saying before with misty step you had you just have misty step that you know and can deploy it it's it's in your bonus action toolkit as something you can just do exactly so if exactly. you're playing a ranged ranger you can use it to get away from a combat that you don't like if you're playing a melee ranger you can use it to go oh shit they've got people standing next to the cleric Let's get over there so that the cleric has disadvantage or I can create a bigger threat by novering one of them so that they turn around and go, oh shit, let's deal with this guy before he wipes us out. I want to talk about haste. Yeah. Okay, haste is so fucking cool. You get banishment on this Mm -hmm. and teleportation circle. Well, critical role, as you see with Caleb, teleportation circle just broadens the range of your party's actions to the entire world, world, which... That's going to be a problem for DMs because then it's like, like when you prepare your campaign, you know, you compare Nicodranas and then Caleb the little shit is just like, yeah, we're going to go and see the Cobalt Soul yeah. in, uh, in, in this in room. A, a completely different other city. And Matt's like, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. 
Admittedly, admittedly, the Horizon Walker gets it at seventeenth level. You're probably not going to get that far. Yeah, not many in most people, campaigns. Not many people are going to get that far. But what I do want to say about that is, it always comes down to: Do you want your wizard wasting a fifth level spell slot on teleportation circle, or do you want to do it with your one that you get <laughs> a day? Well, it's not a free one every day. You'd have to use your your fifth level spell slot. Oh, okay, yeah. But, but like, All right. you've got one fifth level spell slot a day. Mm. Do you want a teleportation circle, or do you want your wizard to teleportation circle when they could upcast magic missile? <laughs> and I know I use magic missile a lot. It's not the only yeah. spell they could upcast. It's just a useful stand-in for do a shitload of damage. I think if you've got one fifth level spell, you might want to use it to do your thing that you can do at fifth level, whereas the wizard is likely to have more fifth level spell slots. Or, I know you don't gain any benefit from using a higher level spell slot, but in theory the wizard has more spell slots that they can use. They do, but also what a wizard can do with a 5th level spell slot, I would argue, is far more than a ranger can do with a 5th level spell slot. Mm. But you've got the choice. If you get yourself into a situation where the wizard suddenly thinks, oh shit, I can't cast Teleportation Circle, the ranger might be able to do it as a backup. Okay, so I'm looking at all their 5th level spells. Yeah. All of them. We've got Wrath of Nature, which allows you to make the ground difficult terrain and cause dexterity saving throws and things. Mm-hmm. Which is useful, but it's a deck save. Yeah. We've got Tree Stride, which is actually useful. Oh, Tree Stride is not the same as the one that Keyleth uses. That's Transport Tra- via Plants. Yeah. Tree Stride just allows you to move between two trees that are within 500 feet. All right. okay. So, I mean, that's practically not great. Yeah. There is Swift Quiver, which mm. if you're a um, ranged thing, is probably what you want to have. One thing I did want to mention is with my character, with the Indiana Jones thing, because with rangers you always think that it's someone who has spent so much time outside that they're attuned to nature, kind mm-hmm. of in a similar way to the druid is. Mm. He probably just rescued a relic and then gave it back to them and then the the village healer or the, the local druid of the village was like, bang, you got nature powers. And that's... <laughs> It like probably doesn't want them. It doesn't doesn't particularly want these mystical powers that he's got. You know, never never particularly sought them out in the way that you think of a ranger having that connection to nature. He was probably just gifted this because he rescued an idol or yeah. You know, I mean, it's got some basic survival skills at the very yeah, least, yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones. So there is Swift Quiver, uh-huh. which allows you to attack twice as a bonus action with a bow, but you get okay. that once per day. Does it specifically say bow or does it say ranged weapon? It does say quiver, but it says non-magical ammunition. So what does it do? It allows you to make two attacks as a bonus action with a ranged weapon. See, because it says quiver, I would say it would probably have to be a bow. Yeah, or a crossbow, maybe. It's the quiver that you're casting it on. Yeah. Unless there is one magic... Well, the same magic item twice... But there's two different versions of a, a quiver of efficiency or something yeah. where it's got like a pocket plane so you can fit up to 60 arrows in one of the pockets. It says... Javelins. But yeah, you can fit javelins, you can put your bow, you can store your bow in there. It specifically says crossbow bolts in the description. So I think you can put crossbow, crossbow bolts in a quiver. But I think you would have to like say to your DM, I am buying a tiny quiver that fits crossbow bolts. And then cast that on it to do it. You'd have to have a... I, I would say that, a, that, that your crossbow bolt comes in yeah. a quiver. I think that's perfectly acceptable. But I, I think, like, if you think of a quiver as just, like, a tube, it would be difficult to argue that you're keeping bullets in there. 
I think it would be very fiddly to get the bullets out. I, I, of the I don't quiver. think you, I don't think you could argue I that. I think you'd need a bag of yeah. bullets. We've also bullet. got Steel Wind Strike, which you choose five creatures you can see within range. You mm-hmm. make a spell, melee spell attack against each target, which does kind of suck because your spell attack modifier is not going to be very good. Mm-hmm. On a hit, a target takes sixty ten force damage. Mm. So we've got Swift Cover, we've got Steel Wind Strike. None of them are like, ooh, I could take that. When you should remember that you can add 2d8 of force damage as bonus action yeah, every turn, as opposed to Swift Cover's concentration, is it? Up to mm. a minute. You get that once per day. Yeah, That's your one combat, as opposed to... Like, why would you waste your fifth level spell slot on one combat when you could use it to transport the entire party? To the other side of the world. To the yeah. other side of the world. I think it's got, you know, at the very least, okay, I've got ten minutes, however it long takes yeah. to cast... I'm going to f- fuck off. We're going to, you know, there's there's an enemy at the gates. Give me 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> off you go. But haste. You get that at level 9. And at level 11, your planar warrior goes up to two, 2d8. Mm-hmm. And you get the distant strike ability. When you take the attack action, you can teleport up to 10 feet before each attack to an unoccupied space you can see. If you attack at least two different creatures with the action, you can make one additional attack with it against a third creature. Mm-hmm. And if you hit two different creatures, you can target a third. Oh. Now add haste to that. So that's four attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Set that up on your first turn. Mm. And then next turn. Bang, 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 bang. Final one. D- 2d8 of force damage. Mm. Your capacity for damage has hit the roof. Or as you were saying about, like, just in terms of the the backup character functionality, you know, you got that meat grinder big hallway of of enemies. You range a cast haste, then you run through all the enemies to the other side, and you're like, right, you haven't attacked on that. Well, you could attack on that round. You can attack all the gribblies on your way up. You gain a plus two bonus to AC. So at this point, it doesn't matter if they get an opportunity attack against you. Hmm. This is a big if, but if you've taken medium armor master as well, that's an AC of 22 to zip between some griblies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have an advantage on dexterity saving throws whilst it lasts, and you gain an additional action on each of your turns. Which is really good because, again, uh, how many times have we said about the utility of two levels of fighter to get action surge? And that's you can do that once per short rest. That's every turn while it's active. Yeah, you've got man. that on. Haste is so good. Yeah. And it's at ninth level. Okay. That's probably the end, the nearing the end of most people's campaigns. Hmm. But. <laughs> I mean, the one of the things I was going to say about level ranges is if you look at most of the adventures, which I was because I was trying to find, I bought myself more bonus, uh, more, not bonus action. I bought myself more uh, magic items because mm-hmm. I found when building these, there's, I've not got enough of a range of magic items mm. and most of them you look at them you get about 12 new magic items for about uh five dollars 99 there's one of them and i wish i could remember what it was i might uh i know what it was and i know why i regret it now there's one of them where if you buy the magic items pack from eberron yeah. when it's listed in the store it looks like you look at it and you think oh they're really good they're all really good and then it's not until you go into the description which you can't do on the store on the storefront. Once you go into the description, it says at the top you need a an Eberron race with the mark of this to use it. Yes, there's a lot of that. So rules as written, you can't use. I think you would have to have a DM who was just saying, "Well, we're not in Eberron, so 
we just ignore that bit. <laughs> but there are a lot of on the surface of it, it looks really good because you're like, oh wow, fourteen magic items for three ninety nine. Whereas with most of them, you get about ten or twelve for five ninety nine. But rules as written, they can only be used in Eberron. Mm. So I wouldn't multiclass this build mm-hmm. because I think Horizon Walker is the one ranger that, and I know people like Bloomstalker a lot, and this might get me in a bit of trouble. Yeah, but I think it's the one that stands up at higher levels. Mm. I also think it's the one that comes online a little later than the others. Can I just make a point going back to that, though? Is if you say Horizon Walker is good and it should go all the way up to level 20, that's not an invitation for people to say Gloomstalker is better. No. Right? I know we've said a couple of times, like, viewing classes in isolation, whether they're, they're good or not, but... Like, if you want to take Horizon Walker, take Horizon Walker. If you want if to anybody take Gloomstalker. Else, anybody else who says, yeah, but Gloomstalker is more is, is better, what they're talking about then is which is more efficient. And saying one class is more efficient than another doesn't mean that other class isn't still good. Yeah. So Horizon Walker is still good. You can take it up to level 20 and the abilities you get are good. Gloomstalker might arguably be better or more efficient, but that still means Horizon Walker is still good. I'm not entirely sure that Gloomstalker stands up toe-to-toe past a certain point. Yeah. I don't know what that point is, so I'm, I'm talking slightly yeah. out of my ass. But, um, okay, the Gloomstalker gets an extra attack on the first turn at level 3. Yeah. The Horizon Walker gets an extra D8. An extra attack, especially if they're using a bow that does D8 damage, is yeah. going to do more than this extra D8. Yeah. However, you probably still have a mundane weapon and force damage counteracts that slightly. We're talking apples and oranges a little bit. At fifth level, you do three attacks on your first turn, and then you don't get any for the rest of that combat. The Horizon Walker Ranger gets haste, and is adding an Mm. extra action to every single turn, plus extra mobility, plus 2d8 force damage. Yeah, but Those are two very big things. But I know we've gone into like future of the build with the multi-class options. Mm-hmm. But, and I think we, we kind of alluded to this before, the multi-classing options at level 5, so if you're building your own mm-hmm. level 5 character, I think there is an argument for taking that level in, taking that, mm-hmm. that level in Rogue instead of taking the 5th level of Ranger because I'm sure somebody can work out the efficiency of which puts out more damage, but there is a build where you can construct it so that in combat you're only doing one turn, but because of Horizon Walker and because of Rogue, you can load Sneak Attack and that bonus action thing onto it every turn. If if you're coordinated with your monk, you're adding a D8 and a D6 every turn. Yeah, And outside of combat you've got those extra skill proficiencies from Rogue. Mm. So I'm not saying that one is more efficient than no, the other no, no, because no. I know people I people will instantly look at it that way and argue it that way. I'm not saying which is more efficient or which is better. I'm just saying that you can get similar results from different things and depending on what you want to do with the character and what you want to do with the way your campaigns tend to go, whether they're mostly combat or there's a little bit of role play or anything, there's advantages to different ways of building it. Would you multi-class yours? 
I would be very tempted to put a level of rogue because I think the more I've described this during the podcast, the more I've realized that the things that this character does well mm-hmm. are things outside of combat. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing a dungeon run with this character, like I say, you can go and you can do the research before. You've got a good history score and you've got a good religion score to know. In, and you've got the archaeologist background as well mm-hmm. to know what culture it comes from and things like that. So you're going to get a lot of clues about the location you are going to. So you can give them a lot of information about things like that. In a weird way, this would work very well with a dwarf who's got the stone cunning Mm. thing. So being able to look at the history Mm -hmm. of the stone and where it came from, that might give you a lot more clues. If you've got a DM who's really researched the location that you've gone to, you can get a hell of a lot of information before you even go in with this character. That's true. And taking the dip in Rogue means you would have even more things that you can be proficient in. You would also have, if you've got a frontline combatant and you're taking your pistol... Mm-hmm. You're, you've got your D8 and your D6 yeah. every round. Really quickly, you're going to start munching through. In the same uh, way... Combat. Yeah, in the same way that you had the artificer who was, you know, their steel defender is sitting next to someone so you have advantage on your ranged attack. If you've got a melee character who's sitting there and you're sort of, you know, you're getting advantage on your one big attack, specifically building with the limitation of fifth level... Only having that one attack is... You're probably losing out in terms of efficiency, but you're not losing out a huge amount. And it means you're doing one big attack, which, again, kind of fits the Indiana Jones thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't be arsed with this 1d10 plus 1d8 plus 1d6. Yeah. Plus proficiency bonuses and blah, blah, blah. And you would be able to stack Favoured Foe on top of that because you didn't do Sephir Strike. Yeah. So that's 1d10 plus 1d8. Plus 1d6, plus 1d4. Yeah. Going down the line. <laughs> and that's, but, that's insane. But again, in a weird way, I re- I realised afterwards that those things were there to use. I didn't build for those things because initially the ranger annoyed me so much. I kind of just went, right, I'm doing the bloody background now. Have, and have I, I, I in any way... You health? have rehabilitated the ranger, definitely. Are, are you sure? Yeah, you've you've definitely argued them out of just enraging me every time I see the the word ranger. I do think that rage is somewhat earned, though. I love rangers, and Mm. I wanted to love rangers ever since I first started playing D&D. Yeah. It takes wanting to play a ranger to start going, hang on, you can mix that with that, and this is this, and this is that. You have to want to do it, and I think it's an extra step in the way. What it reminds me of is on a video game. Excuse me. It kind of reaches its final form in the in the form of speed running. You get players who will be like, recently the video game Destiny Two. Yeah. There is a fusion rifle that's just been patched because certain players, if you rapidly flicked in and out of aim down sight and then fired, yeah. you could fire faster than you should be able to with this weapon, oh, right. which meant your DPS was higher and you could burn enemies down faster. And they've just patched that out because it was, you know, exploits like that. And Mm -hmm. you do get some people who, when they're building things, and if you can get away with it, fantastic, good for you. Not everybody can. You get some people that will go, like, if you set up this ability and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this, you can do all of this damage. And that's fantastic if you can do that. Okay, I'm right here. But I think a lot... (laughs) but. 
I think a lot of players, and I am including myself in this, and this may just be a mental limitation that I have, mm -hmm. a lot of players will look at a setup like that and just go, how am I going to have to do that bullshit every turn? You know, I think this is why that I think there was one of the earlier builds that you were talking about this sort of like power build that you could set up. And I said, like, I prefer characters where they can consistently do yeah. that every turn. The thing that I'm talking about specifically is when somebody comes up and says, like, the Sawlock swapping, yeah, swapping pack slots for spell slots and things like that. Like, I'm starting to kind of get my head around it, you know? <laughs> oh, bless you. I'm starting to kind of naturalize it within my head where I can think, oh, okay, I do that, 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 and that. But honestly, I think if I was playing that character and trying to get away with that, I would need to have a crib sheet next to me saying, that's what I can do here. And that, like, you, you I, would need yeah, highlighters I and crayons. Yeah, I, de I declare that I am doing this, then this, then this, right? And that, like, maybe so I just don't have sort of like a, a programmer's mind or a mathematician's mind. Maybe so I just haven't kept that aspect of it practiced up. Mm. Might be because of the learning differences that I've got. Yeah. Might be because of any of those things. But like that play style doesn't appeal to me and wouldn't be fun yeah. to do all of the time for me. And I think that rolls back into what we were saying about whether Ranger should be seen as an advanced class. I think it should. And I think it should be seen as an advanced class, not as an insult to people to say like oh you're if you if yeah. you can't play ranger you're an idiot yeah that's it, not it's, it it's not that it's just like it's something that you need to be aware of unless you have a very very firm grasp on the way all of the rules mm -hmm. interact agreed agreed so what would you take from my build because i know exactly what i would take from your build there's a part of me that really loves the gunner theme mm. that you've done. I think I would... And the other thing as well... What was your magic item? The other thing as well... Oh, the plus one. It was the plus one pistol. The other thing with that as well is I only took the pistol because, like I said last week, you don't want to take the piss with <laughs> the DM. But if you're power building, if you're in like, rifle. like a World of Warcraft gnomes kind of thing where they're the artificers and they're fiddling around with things like that, you, you could argue like... You know, if you're not that bothered about the loading property, you could take a pepper box if you're yeah. allowing Exandria guns. You could take a blunderbuss. You could take, I would argue, you could take a hunting rifle, which is like 2D10. Mm -hmm. It's based on a modern hunting rifle, but you could argue that you have more like a rifle kind of thing. And you could, you could take one of the more modern weapons or one of the more overpowered weapons. I took pistol just because... You didn't want to take the piss. Yeah, I didn't want to take the piss. And I feel like with Gunner, you kind of you kind you have of to talk should. to your DM. You have to talk to your DM and you have to agree, okay, this is how far guns have developed in this setting and this is what you can have. I mean, even if we were to, in the campaign I'm currently running, even if we were to go into space, <laughs> I don't think I would allow firearms at yeah. all. I, like, GIF maybe could have them. Mm. I would be tempted to just this is a bit bad but i'd be tempted to just straight up ban them from yeah. being playable at my table i think gif the only argument gif. they're the hippo people oh okay there's gif and there's ah, gif i thought you said gif i was going to say because with gif the argument that i could think with them is they've got that sort of multiverse knowledge yeah so they're the only ones that i would argue uh could have them because they're like they're accessing knowledge from another plane I'm, I'm not, I'm not. where they've got it. No, I'm not, I'm not. they're the only ones that I could see in your setting yeah. arguing that... Well, the GIF, the big hippo people, yeah. it's part of their culture. And I might allow it 
I'd, mm. I'd be hard pressed to allow it though. But even then, I think with that, you you would probably be arguing that it's like they've just started to develop them, so they've got pistols and that's it. And blunderbusses, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Or one of the things that I found interesting is looking at the firearms that it has got on there as options is the Exandria firearms have the misfire rule. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I can't remember what it is, but it's got like, it's got misfire and then it's got a number in brackets and it's, if you roll lower than that, mm-hmm. it misfires. Mm-hmm. So you need to, you've got an extra mechanic in play and occasionally your gun jams and you need to spend an action to un. Un- unjam unfuck it, it. Yeah. yeah to unfuck it and i think it's a check to unfuck it as well yeah, yeah. so you're you're trading off the higher damage with this risk i would be might... more tempted to include it if that was the case yeah i know exactly what i would take from your build mm-hmm. the archaeologist background yeah because that also fits with my my guy wanting to find out all these old gods and things from their pantheon changes mm. it slightly they probably wouldn't be much of a, a yeah. cook anymore and it slightly robs them of that silliness but yeah you know. i mean tomb of annihilation the other background that they had in there is anthropologist which might work as well I've heard of that, yeah. but um the reason i thought of this was because another podcast that i listened to kill james bond they're currently in their second season they've gone through what they have now killed james bond <laughs> one of the things that they're doing is they're going through other films for the second series as a general sort of films podcast but they're looking at different series to do and i was thinking to myself like indiana jones might be a good one to do the difficulty you have with thinking of films to do on kill james bond is you have things like a lot of people recommend austin powers which has transphobic scenes in it so it's not something that's going to be particularly good for them to watch but yeah which they themselves have said yeah two she's and them by the way i'm not sort of mispronouncing any of them I'm, I'm just there are three people who have a variety of pronouns but i was thinking like the indiana jones series and I, I i can't off the top of my head think of any transphobia but i'm sure there probably is oh yeah i'm sure, I'm sure that any is. any film of a certain era you, there's gonna be something but i was thinking like indiana jones would be a good series to to analyze for them mm. and then as i was thinking that i was thinking oh shit you could absolutely argue indiana jones as a ranger the only thing that didn't fit was the spell casting but then like i said i thought end of temple of doom when he returns the idol to the village you know the, the guy just turns around and goes druid powers and he's like wait 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 no <laughs> you know so he, he didn't go into it with a, a mystical connection to nature he just happens to have saved an idol that is you know associated with a with a nature a powerful aspect of nature and has you know been connected to the powers of the earth I still rely on Jacob's understanding that we are using the convenience of spell slots to explain yeah. these features. Abilities. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's how I would view it for Fiona Jones. Mm. What would you take from mine? Absolutely, without hesitation, I'll take the Zephyr Strike thing. Because I didn't really understand it. Mm. But after you've explained it, I think it is in a situation where you're like, oh shit, I need to get past a bunch of things. Mm. because you probably are going to be ranged with a pistol most mm-hmm. of the time any sort of situation where you need to get around you know you can just zephyr strike and you've got the mobility feet essentially yeah, and essentially at any point while you've got that up you an can, extra you can d8 that, and you, you have, have advantage so you you had the idea of run up to them d8 and then it's like right the usefulness of that is gone but it's also good functionality in terms of you can just run away from everyone yeah for a first-level spell slot, that's great. 
It's incredible. Yeah. I think rangers get some of the best spells in the game. I just think they get the least options to use them by by how most people run a game. I almost wish there was another mechanic, apart from concentration, that applied to ranger spells so that they couldn't stack them. I almost wish they had, like, this is a one-off damage bonus, but there was a different mechanic that worked so that they couldn't stack them, but it didn't kill concentration. I almost wish there was another mechanic at play there that that had that effect. Well, I don't know. I just mean it so that you kind of could use them as a mini smite, but it wouldn't knock off something else that you're concentrating on. You just couldn't use that ability at the same time. Yeah, you just couldn't stack multiple abilities. I understand that. Yeah. Would you play this? I think if it was a one-shot at level five, I would probably play. And If I knew that we were going into either Tomb of Annihilation... Or it was a dungeon run into an old ruin. Or, or I would be very, very tempted. Is to do Tomb of Annihilation the one where you have to like track through a jungle? Yes. Yeah, the, yeah. I, the idea is you go through a jungle and then you start seeing like dinosaurs and weird stuff. Not like Lovecraft weird stuff, but you start seeing like things that don't make sense, like idols and things like that. Mm. And then you get to the tomb, and then it's it's your classic dungeon run mm. after that point. But there is also, there's a lot of pre-arrival stuff that if your DM just wants to do a dungeon run, they might choose to narrate all of the stuff in Chult in and arriving and, you know, negotiating with the, the locals and stuff like that. They might want to just narrate their way through all of that and then have, bang, you were at the door of the tomb, in which case this class is not going to be that useful. But if you're doing the module as it is, as I, I just glanced through it, mm. but if you're doing the module with all of the pre-arrival at the tomb stuff, there's a lot of things on this character that would really, really be useful. Would you play yours? No. Because? I have my own Horizon Walker Ranger, <laughs> and they're yeah. cooler. That's fair. That's fair. I think Hobgoblin is maybe the one thing about this build that I wouldn't play. Like the Horizon Walker Ranger and the Indiana Jones stuff, yeah. But there's probably other races that would fit it better. And I know I'm countering an argument that I made myself, which is you shouldn't think about efficiency, you shouldn't think about what's cool. <laughs> but I feel like there are innate abilities that other races get that could be cooler. Like if your DM doesn't allow firearms, take one of the elves that gets a hand crossbow proficiency built in. I think it's drow, is it? Yeah, and then mm. you can take crossbow expert instead, which does largely the same thing. You would be then using your bonus action to use crossbow expert though. Yeah, but then you could still do the silly Indiana Jones thing of, of firing at a distance and adding yeah. your Zephyr Strike and uh, adding all oh, yeah, the various bonuses to, that. Yeah, to yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Can I talk brief, like really briefly about my Horizon Walker that I have? Yeah, do. Because if, you know, we've rolled Horizon Walker and yeah, for the most part, we've been talking about the Hobgoblin Horizon Walker with you know, the limitation of level five. So we don't usually do this. So if you guys don't like this, let us know. At Build Bar Pod on Twitter. Yeah. And I'll or, turn the replies off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My character is a half-elf Horizon Walker Ranger. Yeah. And they... Hang on, let me get this the right way around. Their father is a druid, mm. and their mum is an Oath of the Watcher's Paladin. Yeah. And their... F- if I got this right, yeah, their father is human, and the Oath of the Watcher's Paladin is elf. Mm. Hence half elf. So druids, I think I said she was circle of 
Dreams, maybe? But I can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been Circle of Stars. Anyway. I know like the last week or the week before you said that like uh, Circle of Stars, Circle of Dreams, they all just kind of blend together into space. Mm, yes, yeah, so it just turns into nighttime. Yeah, nighttime and space. Yeah, I, I imagine the Ninky Nonk is about to come through. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen in the Night Garden? Oh, don't. That is horrific. Oh, it's, uh, it's a trip. That anyway. thing does not look right. That is the definition of Uncanny Valley. Well, what? Um, that fucking blue thing. <laughs> what about Macapaca? Uh, just the the one. It, it's Macapaca. like it's like a, a little blue cuddly toy with a, a human eyes. He's a bit scary. Human eyes that are wrong. It looks like something is trapped in there and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to include this bit. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so, <laughs> my half elf he's been raised outside of society because at some point in the distant past his parents fought against elemental evil as it's yeah. called and pushed primordials back to their planes so mm. that they couldn't go yes let's make this elemental chaos again okay i do the zephyr strike trick on this character mm. um this is very that's their name is very yeah which is like very, but with a TH at the front. Hmm. Uh, Thereslon Calteus, that's his full name. And I've done different things with the stats and the feats and things, uh, but they're much more... I'm going to get into combat. i got a shield. They're a bit more like, I will turn this thing away. Almost like the Grey Knights from um, Warhammer 40,000. Yes. But a lot less racist. Mm. Um, <laughs> and deterministic. Yeah, if you want a setting where they're definitely making a point of everybody being literally xenophobic, yeah, yeah, there's forty, there's forty k. We're also supposed to understand that's not a good thing, yes, because if the Eldar and the Tau and the humanity got together, they would be winning. It would be a golden age. That's no, none of it would be a problem. No, but my Horizon Walker, it's far more based on. Admittedly, I put this together in a week. My Horizon Walker is far more based on wider social and cultural themes and isn't just hobgoblins had gods where are they mm. and that's their excuse for walking the horizons yeah and Theri's favorite enemy is primordials because that's what his parents fought and who he has the most understanding about yeah and as you go along it would be aberrations celestials fiends uh fey etc mm. So I would prefer to play that than this Horizon Walker. If we were running a one-shot and I wanted to play Horizon Walker but didn't want to play Derry, I would play this. Shall we, as always, come up with a new character for next week? Yes. This is the one I'm most excited for. Okay. Out of the first season's batch. It is a Storm Herald Barbarian Fire Genasi. I'm really excited for this one. I don't normally build barbarians, so it'll be interesting. It's a subclass I don't think gets the attention it deserves. Hmm. I think it's very misunderstood. One thing I did want to point out is that this is the new fire genasi and not the old genasi subclass, subrace fire, fire yeah. genasi. This is the new one, so we can put the stats where we want. I will probably still go with legacy stats because I just I can't get my head around when we do and don't use them. <laughs> So I'll when probably, I say I'll just de- <laughs> I'll just de- I'm going to default to legacy okay. stats. Okay. Because, uh, like I say, um, I'd love to blame uh, long COVID, but I've always been like this. <laughs> Have you had COVID? 
I don't know. The problem is some people get it and aren't symptomatic. So Absolutely. I, I might have had it. You probably won't, won't have long COVID, though. Yeah. It's all right, buddy. That's okay. Come here. Frodo, it's Frodo. just a, a little knocking noise. Come here. It's all right. Good boy. I tell uh, you what, we're at the end of the episode. You, you can, can come, come up, up now, mate. Yeah. Do you want to come up? Come on. Let me come, buddy. There's, you don't understand why you're not allowed up. It's a bit, boy. It's a bit rude. Um, Hello. Hello. You get all the attention, don't you? Yes, you uh, do. You can choose whether you're medium or small uh, for this new one. Um, dark vision is 60 feet, resistance to fire damage. And Storm Herald Barbarian, which I think is the most underrated Barbarian. Oh, right. Not most poorly rated. Some of those are justly poorly rated. <laughs> but I think this is very underrated, and I like yeah. it. There's a few choices, so that should be fun for you. I think it'll be interesting, and I've already had a stupid idea, so... I've had plenty of stupid ideas. Okay. Do you want to say goodbye, Frodo? Yeah. Sign off the episode. Tell everybody, speak. Speak. It's going to be great to edit out. I'll tell you what, I'll just fade out of me saying speak like a dickhead. <laughs> speak. Speak. Oh, I was going to end on a musical number. Speak. No, that's not You're happening. just too good. No, no. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Built Wild Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon and Frodo the Dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Steve and Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. And remember, respect your elf before you wreck yourself. I want right up there.